Greetings, Dr. Beckett. Welcome to the Quantum Leap Podcast. Theorizing that one could time travel within his own lifetime, Dr. Sam Beckett led an elite group of scientists into the desert to develop a top-secret project known as Quantum Leap. Pressured to prove his theories or lose funding, Dr. Beckett prematurely stepped into the project accelerator and vanished. He awoke to find himself in the past, suffering from partial amnesia and facing a mirror image that was not his own. Fortunately, contact with his own time was maintained through brainwave transmissions with Al, the Project Observer, who appeared in the form of a hologram that only Dr. Beckett can see in here. Trapped in the past, Dr. Beckett finds himself leaping from life to life, putting things right that once went wrong and hoping each time that his next leap will be the leap home. You are listening to the Quantum Leap Podcast. This is episode 26, Pool Hall Blues. Mr. Son, do, do you know who you are playing? This is Charlie Black Magic Walters, the, the greatest pool player in the world. Eddie, why don't you just beat it? <laughs> Could all the smoke in this joint be clouding your memory? Or have you forgotten? I own the market to this place. That's due in two days. Sam, this is just unbelievable. That's Alberta. Alberta? That's Magic Stick. It's 21 ounces uh, of pure African ebony inlaid yeah, sure. with mother of pearl. Magic named that stick after his wife, Alberta. It's as big a legend as he is. Went to the Big Easy where he got busted for shooting pool in a whites-only pool hall. And you ended up back in the orphanage. Now look, my eyes may be fine, but I, I couldn't shoot a game of pool with a shotgun. Well, you're going to have to learn, or else Violet's dream is lost, and Magic won't ever forgive himself for not coming through for his granddaughter, and I'll never forgive myself for not coming through for Magic. It's already racked for nine balls. <laughs> it's always racked for nine balls. That's Magic's game. Welcome back to the Quantum Leap Podcast. I'm Albie. And I'm Heather. Today we are talking about the episode Pool Hall Blues, which is one of my favorite episodes of Quantum Leap. We have a great show for you today. We have an interview with Sherry Headley, who played Violet Walters in this episode. So I'm very excited for everybody to hear that. Yeah, that was a really awesome interview. She was great, wasn't she? Yeah. It is one of my favorite episodes, but it's not one I think about when I think about Quantum Leap. Like, my immediate thoughts go to the bigger episodes, not necessarily this episode, but I watched this episode a lot in the past few weeks, and I just love it. I was going to say, is it one of your favorites because you've seen it about 12 times? <laughs> it, it might be, but I mean, you know, when you watch something that often, you can kind of get tired of it, but not this. It's like a good play or a good movie where you just want to see it over and over again. I really don't mind watching this episode over and over I'm really glad, though, that it doesn't have the song from Man of La Mancha, because I remember how often you sang that. And Stormy Weather isn't that bad with you singing it every day. Oh, thank you. Not that bad. <laughs> I only know about two lines from it, but they just repeat endlessly. Well, I mean, it was great when Sherry Hadley did it, but <laughs> with you, 
it's it's not as bad as man of la mancha oh thank you no i the episode was really good i i really did like this episode as i like i think almost all of them (laughs) but yeah i i did i really didn't mind watching this one over and over and over and over again it's weird because i feel like we've watched this one for weeks now (laughs) and even though i've seen it a bunch i won't skip it next time through we're watching this again? <laughs> All the way through one more time, eventually. All right. We'll do one show for that. You know, as soon as we finish watching them all on DVD, the Blu-rays are going to come out. Oh, of course. And then we'll be like, oh, we're going to watch them again. That has to happen. Hopefully it does happen. That'd be great. We have a lot to talk about after the episode recap. This is season two, episode 18, Pool Hall Blues. Original broadcast date, March 14th, 1990. Written by Randy Holland and directed by Joe Napolitano. It's September 4th, 1954, and Sam has leapt into an African-American nightclub to find himself in the middle of a game of pool. His opponent, Lester, mockingly referring to Sam as old man, tells him to make his shot and raises his bet on the game to $400, while several spectators, including a loan shark named Eddie Davies, Laugh at Sam's confusion. Sam shoots at the eight ball, but narrowly misses the corner pocket. Lester smiles and prepares to shoot. Suddenly, an old man named Jimmy Grady starts laughing and approaches the table. He asks Lester if he knows who he's actually playing, then introduces Sam as Charlie Black Magic Walters, the greatest pool player in the world. Sam's granddaughter, Violet, who owns the nightclub, is watching from across the room as she sings on stage. She walks over to the table and tells Sam to give Lester his money back but Lester claims he can still beat Sam and raises his bet to $500. Sam daringly asks Lester if he really wants to lose his money. Lester backs down and Grady gives the money back to him. Lester apologizes to Sam and eagerly shakes his hand. Eddie approaches Sam about playing a game against him and Violet tells Eddie to beat it. Eddie reminds her that he owns the marker to Violet's club, which is due in two days, and he compliments her on turning the pool hall into a classy uptown establishment. He tells her it will be a pleasure owning the club and leaves with a laugh. Grady assures Violet that Sam will never let Eddie take over her club. Al arrives and marvels at the pool cue Sam is holding, referring to it as Alberta and telling Sam that Alberta is Magic's trademark stick. Grady takes Alberta and puts her away and Sam directs Al to the men's room so they can talk privately. In the men's room, Sam looks at Magic's reflection, and Al says he hadn't seen Magic in over 40 years before he recognized him in the waiting room. He tells Sam that he once held Alberta, which only a few people have ever done, and explains his friendship with Magic. When Al was 10, he ran away from the orphanage, and after a few days on his own, got so desperate he tried to rob someone in the street. That someone turned out to be Magic, who took Al in, fed him, and gave him a jacket. Al traveled with Magic until Magic was arrested in New Orleans for playing in a whites-only pool hall, and Al wound up back in the orphanage. Despite this, Al has never forgotten what Magic did for him, and tells Sam he has to help Magic now. Sam promises to help Magic, but Al explains that their problem is Eddie. Violet borrowed some money so she could turn the pool hall into a blues club, and Eddie bought her marker, which he wants to put up for wager so he can get a game against Magic. Sam insists that he doesn't know how to play pool, but Al tells him he'll have to learn, or else Violet will lose her club and Al will never forgive himself for not helping Magic. The next morning, Sam finds Violet replacing the lamp above Magic's trademark pool table. 
Grady arrives and insists that the old lamp should stay there. Sam convinces Violet to let the old lamp stay, much to Grady's relief. Sam then suggests to Violet, Grady, and Al that if they can go to a bank and get a loan, Violet can buy back Eddie's marker. All three of them are skeptical about being approved for a loan, especially since Violet is black and a woman. Violet tells Sam that they already tried applying for a loan and failed, but Sam argues that trying again still makes more sense than risking everything over a game of pool. At the bank, Sam and Violet enter and ask about applying for a loan. The receptionist tries to pretend that all of the unoccupied loan officers are busy, then refers them to Charles Griffin, the bank's only black employee. Charles is sympathetic to their request, but explains that establishments such as pool halls and blues clubs are not sound investments. Violet explains that she needs to pay back the money she borrowed from Eddie, since her previous attempts to apply for a loan were refused. Charles tells them about the indignities he has suffered being the first black man to work at the bank, then loudly refuses their application. Sam and Violet leave in frustration and anger. Sam tells Violet that they can go to another bank, but Violet responds that they won't be able to find a bank that will approve a loan for them before tomorrow. She now plans to exploit Eddie's sexual interest in her instead, telling Sam that it's the only way to hold on to her club and her dream. That night, Eddie is in the club playing pool when a provocatively dressed Violet approaches him. She openly flirts with him and Eddie questions her sudden interest. Grady finds Sam and warns him about what Violet is doing. Sam interjects himself between Eddie and Violet and tells Eddie to stay away from her. Eddie suspects that Violet only approached him because Sam was afraid to play him, but Sam says they'll play tomorrow when the marker is due. Later that night, Sam is practicing at Magic's table when Violet is singing and playing piano. Al assures Sam that since he learned how to play pool from Magic, he can teach Sam how to play and beat Eddie. Violet asks Sam to join her at the piano, and the two of them sing together as Sam plays the piano to a smiling, astonished Violet. She tells Sam that he'll never cease to amaze her. Sam says goodnight to Violet, then goes back to the pool table. Al tells him that he needs to learn the geometry of the table. Then he can learn where and how hard to hit the ball. Sam guesses that it takes a long time to learn. Then the two of them realize that Al can use the hand link to guide him. Al punches some commands into the hand link and a thin blue beam appears, giving Sam a path to sink the next ball, which he successfully does. The following night, a large crowd has gathered in the club to watch the game, and bets are being taken. Eddie is waiting at the table with a cocky smile as Sam arrives with Violet by his side. Al is also there, hand link at the ready, and a large man called The Brush is accompanying Eddie. Grady pulls the sheet off Magic's table, and Eddie finds that the table has already been racked for nine ball, which is Magic's game of choice. Sam shoots first with the hand link guiding him, and immediately sinks the nine ball off the break, winning the first game. The game continues with Sam and Eddie both playing confidently. Sam is preparing for a shot when the beam from the hand link starts to fail. Al tells Sam he'll have to stall because the Pentagon is usurping the project's power supply. He leaves to try and work on the problem, and Sam pretends to study the table for a few moments, then tells Eddie he needs to take a break. Eddie agrees to let Sam have five minutes and Grady offers to look after Alberta. Sam walks away, and Eddie tells the brush to do something about Alberta. Grady is polishing Alberta when the brush tells him that Magic wants to see him outside in the alley. Outside, Grady sees nobody but the brush and realizes he has been set up. The brush punches Grady in the stomach, and Sam hears the commotion from the men's room. He runs outside to check on Grady, and the brush breaks Alberta over his knee. 
snapping her in two. He tosses Sam one of the broken pieces, but Sam uses it to attack him and knock him to the ground. Sam and Grady come back inside, and Sam tells Grady to find him another stick. Grady brings him a stick and tells him the stick is called Bathsheba. Sam approaches the table again, making a show of getting him used to holding Bathsheba as he continues to stall. As Sam finally prepares to shoot, the blue beam from the hand link reappears. Sam looks up to see that Al has returned, and Al tells him to shoot quickly because he only has two more minutes of power. Sam sinks the nine ball, winning the game and evening the score at six games each. Grady racks the balls for the final game as Sam prepares to break. He sinks two balls from the break and Eddie looks worried. Eventually, only the nine ball is remaining at a difficult angle. Sam prepares to shoot when the light from the hand link fails again. Al realizes that this time, the power from the hand link is gone for good. After a few nervous moments, Sam leans over the table with deep focus and makes a shot, sinking the nine ball and winning the game. Violet approaches an angry Eddie and asks for her marker back. Eddie looks around at the crowd of people watching him, then gives it to her. Violet tells him she doesn't want to see him in her club again, and Eddie lunges at her. Sam steps between them, holding Eddie back. Eddie and the brush leave, and Violet hugs Sam. She starts to tell him again that he'll never cease to amaze her, and as Sam finishes the sentence for her, he suddenly leaps. And that episode recap was by Phil. Thank you very much, Phil. This one, directed by Joe Napolitano, his name comes up a lot, so uh, he's one of the more frequent Quantum Leap directors. But he did a great job. I think everybody did a great job in this episode. I think you like the costume director the best. Jean-Pierre Dorliac, yes. Uh, my <laughs> favorite, well, your favorite part of the it episode. It is not my favorite. It's your favorite it's, it's part. It's one of, of our the, favorite parts of the episode. It's your favorite part of the episode. Shari Headley in the dress, the Jessica Rabbit style dress we saw again. Yeah, that's a low cut dress. It just fit her perfectly. Every time we did watch it, I kept saying, Heather, this is your favorite part. She'd be like, no, it's your favorite part. Yeah, every time. <laughs> uh, she, she she looks good. Oh, yeah. No, I, I I have to agree. She definitely looks good. So, I uh, played a lot of pool in your life, Heather? I know absolutely nothing about pool. Billiards? Nope. Not even a little bit. Never played. Never. I don't even think I've... Uh, maybe I've stood next to a pool table once in my life. <laughs> For like an advertising <laughs> campaign, an no, ad or something? No, like I was with friends at a pool hall when I thought it was cool to be at a pool hall back when I was a kid. <laughs> but it was funny because at the scenes at the end where they're playing, I was like, that's weird that like I thought one person took a shot and then the other person took a shot. Like it went back. How it goes is the other person gets a shot if you miss a shot. Right, which I realized when the same person was going over and over again. But I was like, I have no idea what's going on. <laughs> yeah. When you're at this level of uh, players, there's a very good chance that you don't even get to play against the other person because they just run the table. Yeah. I know a little bit about pool. When I first moved out of my parents' house, I moved into a... Uh, a pool hall? <laughs> <laughs> pretty much. Uh, I moved in with Gary Thunder. And uh, his house. And I feel like there should be a crash of thunder when you say that. <laughs> there is now. <laughs> when I moved in with him, I was 18. And the living room consisted of a TV VCR combo, a small couch, and a huge pool table. I remember TV VCR combos. <laughs> 
so for about a year and a half, I had a pool table in my house every day. Played a lot of pool. Yeah, I couldn't tell you the. But I really enjoy it. I think I got quite good at it. I'm not as good as these guys, obviously. But it is fun. You'd still probably beat me. <laughs> you never know. There's beginner's luck. It's all kinds of stuff. And it really is either skill or luck. With me, it's more luck. I have that problem with bowling. I don't bowl often, but when I go, I'm like a beginner again. So it's like <laughs> beginner's luck. I can't wait till we get to the bowling episode. Oh, boy. Smelly shoes. Yeah. Um, this episode was about racism, sexism. I don't think about ageism at all. There was a little bit about racism, but it wasn't as much racism as color of truth. I mean, it was just the time that they were in. Obviously, they got discriminated at the bank. But for the rest of the time, I don't really think it was about race. So there was a small part. For me, it was just mostly a fun episode. Of course, they did have the issues there, but it's issues we talked about in other episodes. Yeah, and I think um, men taking advantage of women... You know, that was also kind of an undertone with Eddie trying to take advantage of Violet. But all in all, I think it was more about pool. (laughs) Yeah, just a fun episode of the game of pool. But of course, there had to be stakes. Otherwise, there's no saving the day. If, If there's nothing to do when Sam gets there, then he's just on the layover, basically. So let's talk about the bank a little bit. Obviously, the two white loan officers weren't doing anything, and the one black bank officer, played by Robert Gossett, he was working really hard, which uh, is a sign of uh, what he was going through, how he had to work twice as hard as everybody else to get where he was, and the other people were kind of just like sitting back on their laurels. But what surprised me was the bank receptionist, when they came in and asked to talk to somebody about a loan, she was shocked. Like, black people never came into that bank before to do any sort of business. But the bank is right across the street from the pool hall. And if you watch after Violet and Magic come out of the bank, all the background actors are also African-American. So this bank is doing business in an African-American community, and yet they don't want to help them or talk to them or do business with them. And that kind of didn't make sense. If they had to go across town to a different part of town to the bank, that would have made more sense for me. But I was a little confused there. Well, that's why they were sitting there doing nothing. Because huh. there was nobody in the bank. <laughs> there was a few people in the bank, but again, all African-American. Maybe they just aren't used to people asking for a loan from the bank. That might be it. I mean, people might do their banking there, but not necessarily ask for a loan. Or the fact that she was a black woman and not a black man. Right. That might have had something to do with them, but uh, magic was with her. Yeah. I don't know. This episode's also a little bit about gambling. Did you notice the no gambling sign on the wall? (laughs) That was funny. (laughs) That was funny. That might be like a legal requirement or something. I know there's a lot of places where gambling is illegal. I don't know why. I don't have a moral objection to gambling whatsoever. I believe because it's an addiction. Well, most things are, like chocolate and wheat thins. Coming from somewhere that I, I sold lottery tickets to people, and they would just throw down hundreds of dollars in a morning and not really get as much back, like maybe they'd get... 40% of what they spent back, it's the thrill of it. And that's just grocery store lotto tickets. But when you get into like extreme bets, I don't know. I just think it's definitely a slippery slope. Do you think it's something that should be illegal? Um, I honestly don't know. It's not really my, I don't, I don't know. I guess it depends on the terms of the legality. Like 
I don't think buying a lotto ticket should be illegal, but depends on what you're betting on. Like I think betting on dog races or (laughs) things like that because the dogs are being treated badly. I mean, you know what I'm saying? That I think the situation that you're betting on would matter to me whether it's legal or not. Like the action you're betting on, not the actual bets you're placing. So blackjack, okay. Cockfighting, no. Right. Okay. So as long as it's not hurting somebody. Right. Like a person versus a lion and then you're betting on it. Right. That would be bad. So it's not the gambling part of it. It's what they're gambling on. Right. Okay. That's what would make the legal battle for me. All right. I have no problem with gambling whatsoever, either as an addiction or as something that should be illegal, which is always funny to me where states always have to come up with reasons to make certain gambling legal, like it goes towards education or it's on a reservation, just different loopholes. And uh, I don't know, it just seems weird. Well, the Florida lotto paid for my college education. Oh, that's nice. So, and I I helped. (laughs) Hey, so there you go. I do every once in a while buy a lotto ticket because I get that feeling in my head and I'm thinking I should buy a lotto ticket. No, I shouldn't waste the money. But then I'm like, that would be the time that I would get the winning lotto ticket. Mm -hmm. And then I buy it and then I scratch it off and I look confused at it and I read the rules a few times and then I go, ah throw it behind me in the car so you know it's really funny is when you get a lot of superstitious people that play lotto and you go hey i printed this ticket by accident those people will jump at that ticket they're like that's gonna be the winner then they come back the next day and they're like that 20 dollar ticket i bought from you was not a winner i'm like hey man <laughs> sorry but they definitely jump at those mistake tickets i tried that for a while i was uh getting the $20 scratch-offs going, if it's $20, it's got to be a winner because that's a lot of money to waste. And then I'd and be no. just like I wasted $20. Yeah. So luckily I'm not addicted, but it is fun here and there. I never really bet money on pool. I've bet different things on pool, which can be fun, but that was in my younger days. Different. <laughs> I love how vague you are. <laughs> Leave that to the imagination. Uh, okay, so you might think I'm crazy. Yes. But the first time I watched this episode... About halfway through, I'm like, this is kind of like the right hand of God. He leaps in to this pro, doesn't have any clue what he's doing, but he's got to win the fight slash game to save something, (laughs) to save an establishment. And Al is the pro teaching him. Wow. You mentioned this connection, but I couldn't for the life of me figure out the connection. But that does make sense now that you say it out loud. I mean, if you think about it, like... Without the details. Because you know how Al was trained as a boxer. Astronaut. (laughs) But I mean, he was trained as a boxer and as a pool player. Soldier. (laughs) But I mean, really, in these two episodes, Al was a pro at both of these things. Sam knew nothing about either of these things. And he had to win the fight or win the game to save this establishment that meant the world to a girl, his granddaughter or the nun. The more I watch it, I don't think about that anymore. But the first time I watched it, I was like, this is almost the same thing. It's very cool that they can do almost the same thing and me not even realize just because of this whole story is different. Well, yeah, I just, I don't know. I mean, I think it's funny that either Al or Sam is a pro at everything he leaps into. Usually Al. The connection in this episode is almost on the ridiculous. He, He hung out with Black Magic Walters when he was a kid. And he held Alberta and used Alberta. The Sticks named Alberta after his wife. But for me, I thought more in reality, it was probably named more after Al. 
Well. So he could say, I'm talking to Alberta. Right, which was funny. <laughs> yeah, I think that the coincidence there was a little much, but it made me think. Again, another crazy idea. What if, now I have not seen the rest of the show, so I don't know if this is just some crazy idea. What if the Leafs have something to do with Al's timeline more than Sam's timeline? Mm-hmm. Like it's connected. Like they have that neuro link, right? But if you notice, every almost every leap has something to do with Al's life. Like, oh, I used to be a boxer and I was a... Indy car driver? Right. <laughs> so what if the leaps are based on Al's life and not Sam's timeline? Remember how the whole thing in the beginning was he was going to leap through the time that he was part of his life? Well, what if it's based on Al's life? Like when he was a magician. Can you just (laughs) follow me on this, please? I am totally understanding what you're saying. To me, what I'm getting from what you're saying is almost like when Clara Oswald put her hands in the TARDIS and it's connected to her and they can find people and go places connected to her. Right. Way to bring Doctor Who into this. Thank you. But yeah, then yeah, that's... They're neurologically linked and Sam leapt, but who knows? I just think it's... That is a very good point. More of a coincidence that Al knows what's going on more than Sam. And I know Sam has his Swiss cheese brain, but like, what if these leaps were based on Al's brain and Al's life and Al's experiences? Because, I mean, look at Jimmy, his sister and Jimmy and the boxing and the pool playing. I mean, he met Black Magic and held Alberta and played pool with him and learned pool from him. So, I don't know. I just, in this episode, I was like, there's a lot of Al in these leaps, you know? I absolutely love what you're saying about that because I think one of the biggest complaints about the series, other than the rule book being inconsistent, is Al being so connected in so many ways to so many of these stories. Like, it almost seems ridiculous that he knows everything. But what if... It's because the leaps are based on his life. So then it wouldn't be ridiculous that he knows all this stuff because the leaps are linked to his experiences. Does that make sense? See, this is why people like you. (laughs) Because you can think outside the box because you're approaching it with fresh eyes. I love this theory and I think this might be a thing, even if it's never officially said, which I can't say if I did know, but I don't know. But unless that's disproved, I think that's a great theory to explain everything. And now I have less of a problem with that, which I was going to go on for about 20 minutes about Al being connected again. But you solved that problem for us. I feel like we're going to get Facebook comments about how dumb I am for that. But hopefully people think that I'm awesome. (laughs) I I think you're awesome. I don't know. I uh, Definitely let us know what you guys think about my Al theory. I really like that. Because... It does make me less angry <laughs> that he knows everything. Because I think in every show, we're like, why does Al know everything about everything? And like those comments you were just making, an astronaut, an IndyCar driver, a magician. A phlebotomist. <laughs> but uh, yeah, like what if what if I just created my own theory <laughs> out of nothing? Who knows? To me, right now at this point, it really works. I mean, even if it is based on Sam's l- mind leaping, Al and Sam are so close for so long that their lives are intertwined. And a lot of these leaps haven't been based on Sam's experiences. They've been closer to Al's. Well, if they were more based on Sam's knowledge, it's Swiss cheese, so that wouldn't really help. 
Right. So it'll be really interesting as the series goes on to watch that and see really who is this whole story arc about more, Sam or Al. Hmm. I never thought of it like that. I mean, I'm not saying that it's more about Al, but I think that I just feel like the leaps might have to like, because we don't know what's determining the leaps. Remember, I was like, what determines this? You know, you stop this person from getting killed, but then you're not there soon enough to help the German girl get saved. You're there to solve her murder. Like, what makes one thing more important than the other? But what if it's all based on Al? Okay, I'm done with my crazy theory. Not crazy. Good. Okay. Done with my Al theory. I validate your theory. Awesome. I have to say, this episode, I really wouldn't love it as much if it wasn't for Teddy Wilson, who played Grady. Yeah, I loved his stuttering. I feel like it added so much to his character. It made him more real, more um, more of an actual person than just some caricature of a person. He was like um, Magic's biggest fan, like his manager, like his... Yeah, like his handler almost. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I love that he was in awe of Magic. Like he was magic's biggest fan and he was so enthusiastic about magic and he just loved being with him that was like his life's purpose to be there for magic and help him with whatever and it was just it was great to see the loyalty there he was a willing sidekick he wanted to be there with magic and he kind of held the torch for magic he made sure that everything happened in the right way for magic like the lamp coming down and he said it was that's magic's lamp you can't take that lamp down and stuff like that that sam beckett probably wouldn't have cared about or knew do you think that their friendship is kind of like alan sam's hmm not as much so i don't think al is that enthusiastic because he's kind of got his sarcastic side to him but at least sam can kind of understand their friendship i think I'd say maybe not similar in my view, but as close. Right. And I think uh, they're best friends, even though uh, one is clearly... One is viewed as a superior, maybe. Yeah. But I think uh, they really do care about each other. And um, unfortunately, we lost him. He died. Teddy Wilson. Yeah. Um, that's he was sad. an amazing actor, though. He was really good. I want to talk about the scene in the alleyway. Probably one of my favorite, more emotional scenes. When... Grady is talking to the brush and he realizes that he's been tricked where he says, no, see, I told you he went to the bathroom. And then he, he, you see that realization on his face to where he knows that he's been tricked and uh, he knows something bad is going to happen to either him or Alberta. Yeah, but I think he's more worried about Alberta than himself. Like in that moment, I feel like he was not worried about himself. I feel like in that moment, he was like, oh my gosh, he's going to do something to Alberta and I'm failing and not protecting Alberta. Like, I feel like he was more worried about protecting Alberta in that moment. And even when Sam runs up later, he's like, he has Alberta. I mean, he was so focused on helping Magic. It was not about him at all. Yeah. Don't worry about me. Worry about Alberta. Right. That scene was uh, really good. And I want to mention also the set designer for the alley that really added to the scene and made it more real. Even though if you look at it, you can obviously see it's a set almost like you would see at a play somewhere. But without that, that scene wouldn't have worked as well. It would have been like a weird episode of the original series Star Trek where they're all in a black room. I didn't question the validity of the alleyway while I was watching it. 
I don't know if I just didn't think about it, but it looked good enough to not pay attention to, if that makes sense. I think for me, because I had just watched It's a Wonderful Leap and there's a very similar alleyway (laughs) in that episode. That looks familiar. (laughs) It wouldn't have clicked in my head that it wasn't an alleyway. That was a great scene and uh, just great actors all around in this episode. A lot of them have gone on to do some amazing things. Plus, Sam, as an older man, brings out his martial arts side. Yeah, he did one of his seven forms of martial arts that he knows. And uh, it was cool to see him kick the brush's ass. Yeah, he literally beat him. <laughs> <laughs> and, the, and the look on Grady's face <laughs> as he's doing it, like, I've never seen this guy do that. Where did that come from? Uh, he was saving it up in case yeah. anybody ever messed with his friend. That's got to make Grady feel good, too, that he was there to protect him. But he didn't say he messed with you. He said he shouldn't have messed with Alberta. Yeah. But I'm sure Grady isn't upset at all. I think Grady was honored to pick the new pool cue, though. That's something funny about me. A lot of people are superstitious about their stick. And, like, they'll look at them and look at them in a light, roll them on the pool table. That's, like, a big deal to see if it rolls right without a bow in it. I do this thing where I just walk in, pick one, and that's my stick for the night. Huh. Again, I have no idea. But I've seen people roll their pool cue on this table. I don't know if I've seen that on TV or... It's kind of like uh, with me, it's like, it's a stick. And it's not its not what it is, it's how you use it. <laughs> That's fantastic. <laughs> uh, I knew that when you said stick that you were going to go there somehow. Speaking of sticks. <laughs> yeah? These guys named their sticks, Alberta, Bathsheba. I thought maybe we should name our microphones because they're our, really our tool of our trade. This, these are the things that help us communicate to everybody else. Have you thought of a name for your microphone? Wow. Talk about putting me on the spot. I'll give you some time to think about it. Okay. We can come back to it. We will. Okay. Do you know what you're naming yours? I'm thinking about it right now. Okay. Yeah. Let me think and then we'll come back later. You never have played pool and nine ball is kind of fun. So I sent you a link on the rules. Could you uh, read that? Alrighty. Nine ball is played with nine object balls numbered one through nine and the cue ball. The balls are played in ascending numerical order. The player legally pocketing the nine ball wins the rack. So basically, the game is over when they count from one through nine. So it doesn't matter if it's stripes or solids, and both players shoot the same ball, but like if you miss the shot, say, on the four ball, then the next player will shoot for the four ball and try to get it in. And if he gets it in, he can go for the five ball. If he gets it that in, he can go for the six ball. And the object is to be the person who sinks the nine ball. How many games do you have to play to win? Is that determined? No, that's by that's the game. But I mean, like, didn't they play right, multiple they, games? They did that just because both of them were so good, I think, that they could easily run the table. So if it was one game, Eddie might not even get a shot. Right. And also, nine balls, not that long of a game, so it wouldn't have made for a good... Montage of yes. shots. <laughs> <laughs> the other thing in this episode I think we were both confused about was they keep talking about eating onions. You've been eating onions again? You've been sneaking onions again? Do we ever figure out what that is? Well, I actually looked it up, and I sent you a link on that, too. So you think he was having an onion allergy? I think so. Just because I read some of the symptoms. Could you read the symptoms of an onion allergy? Rashes or dry skin flakes, hives, fatigue, itching, lip swelling, mental disorientation, breathing difficulties, swelling of different body parts, bloating, gas, fainting, asthma, reflux, nausea, sore throat, Puffy eyes and face, mouth blisters, gum blisters, burning sensation on the mouth, tongue blisters, and anaphylactic shock. Can you imagine just from eating onions? 
only 3% of adults may have this allergy. So. Okay, so I'm thinking Magic had an onion allergy because it said disorientation. So he gets confused when right. he eats onions. I had no idea that even existed before this episode, and I just thought they plucked it out of the air, but maybe one of the writers knew about it or had somebody in their family with an onion allergy. So weird. If I couldn't eat onions, I'd be very sad. I make this dish about once a month, and yes, we do do recipes here sometimes. Um, it's, <laughs> it's made with a head of cabbage and about six good-sized yellow onions and a bag of whole wheat wide egg noodles, and uh, it all gets cooked together with some butter, margarine, Salt, pepper, garlic, Italian seasoning, and it's just amazing. I make it about once a month because I get a craving for it. And it's literally like half cabbage and half onions, and it's just amazing. I think it's half noodles, too. So three halves put together <laughs> make this whole recipe amazing. It makes so much food, and it's really cheap. And it's good. Yeah. You know it's done when you can't tell the onions from the cabbage. Yeah, and it kind of browns at the end. Yeah. That Maillard reaction. And it's, oh, now I have to make it. Yeah, you totally do. But uh, that has definitely made it into my vocabulary. If somebody's crazy or saying something out of character, I'm definitely going to say, have you been eating onions again? And you don't put water with the pasta. You just let it cook, right? Sometimes you have to, but most of the time, the moisture in the onions and the cabbage actually hydrate the pasta while it's cooking. I just, it was, it's cool that you put in the dry pasta. You don't cook it first. You can add uh, bacon bits in it too, but I, I skipped that part. I think you should not skip that part. <laughs> Maybe actual bacon next I time. I don't know. It's, 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 it's totally vegan until that part. So why, why mess with it? Because bacon. Okay. So explain this to me. Eddie holds the marker to the club. Uh-huh. And Violet borrowed money from Eddie to fix up the club. Mm-hmm. Okay, the set designers in this case for the interior of the pool hall, I mean Blues Club, didn't get the memo because it's old and grimy and smoke damaged and nothing in the whole place looks new at all. So what did she spend the money on? I guess we'd have to see what it looked like before. But <laughs> so, so she put a stage up. I know, but that's about $19. $19 was a lot back then. I guess. <laughs> the marker was for $47. <laughs> I mean, you don't go out and buy new paint that looks like old wall paint. Well, it looks like she was still in the process because she was, you remember she was switching out the lights because it was old. I think she was still working on it. It only been open for a month. I understand what you're saying, but if she didn't spend the money yet, she could easily pay off the marker. So that's, that's a little problem I no. had with the logic in this episode. No, I mean, she spent the money and bought the stuff, but she hasn't put it all out yet because she was switching out the lights. She already had the new light. But she was taking it down to switch it out when he said no. So there's paint and plywood and drywall in the back. Probably. Okay. That's okay. the theory I'm going with. I don't know. No, how about this? But Eddie says, wow, Violet, you fixed this place up real nice, real nice. And he's looking around and it does not look nice. Maybe his standards aren't the same as yours. Maybe. I have no idea. I'm just saying, if it's it's that much money, where did it go? So we might want to look into maybe spending too much for hammers or something. Okay, now still talking about the marker. Eddie owns the marker to the club. And leaving the bank, they did not get the loan, unfortunately, because of the times and she was a woman and a person of color. So then she says to her grandfather that she was going to basically sleep with Eddie to earn the marker back. One, if she was going to do that, why would you tell your grandfather that you were going to sleep with the guy? I don't know. It's a good question. It's kind of odd, right? Maybe it was just in the moment she was thinking out loud. That could have been it. That could have been it. So if she did sleep with Eddie, Eddie would have been like, here's your marker. 
Or would that have he to... He probably wouldn't have been. He was the slime ball. He might have gave her more time, figured out a different payment plan, right. stretched it on. This is a little bit to do with the same theme that we saw in All Americans. Like the unscrupulous landlord that was trying to sleep with Maria because she owed back rent. Look at you trying to make connections now. Yeah, it's weird, right? I don't know. Either he's got a lot of money because he's risking all that money that he lent him on a pool game, or he just really wants to play a game of pool with magic. I think he did the marker to begin with to sleep with her. And then once he realized he probably wasn't going to get a chance to sleep with her, that he might as well get a pool game out of it. But I think he thought he was going to win that too. So he was just trying to stay in charge. This episode, if it was intended to give some kind of lesson on gambling, I think it totally backfired. Because when you look at the overall episode, if you went to a bank, got a loan for, let's say, $5,000 to do a little repair, and you couldn't pay it back, your collateral would be the club, and they would take it back if you couldn't pay the loan. But in this episode, since she did go to the loan shark, and she was able to pay off the loan by her grandfather playing a game of pool. So this episode teaches you that... Gambling is good. Gambling is good because you always win. And also that loan sharks or predatory lenders are better than banks because there's ways to trick them into getting paid back. I don't. I think you're pushing that one. You think so? Yes. But think about it. I think the lessons were more dealing with difficult situations the best way you can. Okay. Why am I being the optimist and you are being the pessimist? In <laughs> it's this not episode? pessimistic at all. It's it's just saying what we learned in this episode. So if they were, like I said, if they were trying to teach us gambling is bad, they failed. They taught us gambling was good. So in a tough situation, I mean, <sighs> like I said, I have nothing against gambling, but I mean, those people that would have. I have a weird question to ask you. Why are suits still the same <laughs> as they were back then? Why are suits still a thing? Men are sweating to death. The heat really bothered me in this episode, too. I know. I was hot watching this episode. It brings up a lot of the things we talked about in So Help Me God. It's got to be just to impress other people, because when Magic was all by himself, he was in his boxers and a tank top. But why is that in 2014, almost 15, still the thing? I mean, now you don't have to wear a suit, but like for most professional men who have corporate jobs or whatever they have to wear suits to work every day and even if they're outside in the hot hot sun still have to wear suits like why is it was just a weird thing during this episode i've I've worn suits sometimes and i look pretty damn good in them i think so maybe that's it it just looks good yeah it's just it's so weird that fashion has changed so much through the course of history but suits are still a thing wild palms lied to me it was a tv miniseries about the not too distant future. And suits were different, especially in the round the collar region. And I was excited for that, but it just never happened. I don't know what you're talking about, but that's not, <laughs> that's not a shocker at all. I'll let you watch the laser disc. I feel like I should Google it. Okay. So I looked it up and the only thing that's really different about the suit is the collar. But I was lied to. It's almost 2015 and we don't have uh, jackets with the back to the future self-sizing sleeves either. So Halloweencostumes.com. But they don't work. They pretend work. Like my pretend power laces. Oh, boy. I love in this episode how Sam leaps in playing pool, really doesn't know what's going on, and people are laughing at him, and people are betting with him, and he's just like, I have no idea what's going on. But within a few minutes, he's making jokes, and they're not really jokes as much as he's answering without lying and 
almost in a vague way to where people can't say, no, that's not right. Why don't you know that? And uh, it's cool how he now has just the ability to jump into somebody's life running. Yeah, I guess you kind of get used to that if that's your whole life. (laughs) In this episode, Al and Sam talk about going into the bathroom to talk one more time. And, you know, Al's against it. My thought while watching this was Sam goes into the bathroom to talk to Al a lot, but he doesn't pee. So he's got a very good bladder. He also doesn't sleep or eat that much or drink anything. So I think those are just things that like creative license you just don't show, right? In an episode of Firefly, they show Malcolm Reynolds peeing. And when I saw that, I was like, ah, yes, this is real. That in the no sound in space. That's like the only science fiction show I've ever seen where somebody peed. Well, because Star Trek, I don't even think there's bathrooms. There's one bathroom on each ship. One for yeah. all of the people. Well, they figured it out eventually, you know. What? How to not go to the bathroom? Yeah, one pill a month and you don't have to pee. That's my guess. Anyway, speaking of the bathroom, the bathroom mirror set was crazy good. They did a really good job. Um, Black Magic played by Robert Rags Woods. He did very good with Scott Bakula with the mirror scenes. There was a little funny part in it when Scott looped the line that is in the mouth of Charlie Magic Walters. It almost sounded like he was doing the character of magic in his voice, kind of like an old man voice, which was kind of odd for me. But the set itself and their movements together was really nice because outside the door he came in was a hallway with neon lights, and it must have been just a sliver or half a neon light, or they moved it later. Because when they changed perspective to the reverse mirror bathroom, it's totally not a hallway. So they had to like construct that specially. And I really, really liked that they went all out just for that shot where they could have just done another tilted mirror shot. What I thought was unique about this one is they kind of went back to their old style of mirror shots where they've been doing the over the shoulder tilted mirror kind of thing. Recently, they went back to their old style where they recreated the set on the other side and had someone standing there, which we haven't really seen since season one, right? Not very often. I mean, I know that's what they did in the beginning, specifically with Genesis and the end of Genesis where with the baseball player. But I know that like those two stick out in my head and I know that's how they used to do it. And then they kind of perfected the over the shoulder angle. So it's weird that they kind of went back to that, but it looked really good. So really good. Yeah. They did do the other thing with the mirror angle and the switch out when Charlie Magic Walters was playing pool on the table and you saw the mirror overhead. That was pretty nice. Well, they didn't really switch out because they just showed the overhead and then they just came down. So it's not like that was two different shots. It wasn't an, uh, like an... I might have to make a diagram in my head. Maybe they were on opposite sides of the table or something. You don't think they switched out? No, I just mean it was like two different clips. It wasn't like... Speaking of Genesis, the word nerd comes up in this episode. It's written by somebody's finger in the moisture on the window. I so didn't see that. Really? <laughs> nerd? Yeah, you know, somebody drew like Elvis, and then next to it, they spelled out nerd, and then the E was like crossed out, and then there was an A. What? Yeah, nerd on the window. So obviously Sam is influencing the slang terms. I thought that was cool. It's a nice uh, continuity for the universe. My favorite line in this episode was, I might have great vision, but I couldn't shoot pool with a shotgun. That's almost like you couldn't tackle me in a phone booth. That's exactly what I was saying. And it's so funny. And I laughed every time. And I thought of the whole tackle me in a phone booth thing. One thing that I noticed after I reflected on this episode a little bit, and it kind of bothered me. Sam, once again, leaps into the aura of a black man, and he does not have a love interest that is a black woman. He's an older black man both right. times. 
And last time, he also didn't have a love interest. Is this something that will continue? And why haven't we seen Sam with a woman of color as a love interest? Because this would have been the perfect episode to do that because, well, she's just Sherry Headley so beautiful. Yeah, but then he would have had to be a young pool player. Younger, yeah. Um, I don't know. It's something that they really, you would think they wouldn't shy away from because interracial relationships have been on television since the late 60s. I'm pretty sure it's not a race thing. And the creators of the show, Donald P. Belisario and Deborah Pratt, were in an interracial relationship, so that shouldn't have been a problem either. I don't think the show is against him having a black love interest, but I don't think it would have fit in this episode. Okay. So far, there's been two episodes, but there's been a lot of episodes that he hasn't had a love interest. I did message Hayden about it because he is our expert and uh, he couldn't tell me an example of this happening. So just something odd. So I think there's like seven episodes because like another mother, there's no love interest and in freedom. There's no love interest. And there, you know, there's a few kamikaze kid. He's really kind of helping his sister out. So I think the ones that revolve around family, there's no love interest. I think it's either family or love interest. And the two race issue ones we've had so far have been, I think, more about family. Okay. I just think uh, more episodes are about him and a love interest of the week than are not. But there definitely are some that are not. But it's just odd to me that every time he happens to be in the aura of a black man, there's no woman of color as a love interest. Hmm. It's a good observation, I guess. I just, I don't know, never thought about it like that. Happening made its way into the vernacular of the time. Yeah, I guess he's got to drop one slang term every (laughs) episode, right? Was there a kiss with history in this episode? No, I think it was such an isolated event. They were in their little corner. It didn't really have anything globally to do with the guy who played the brush, Ken Foray, I want to pronounce his last name, but I recognized him from a lot of the Of the Dead movies. He's like the main guy. I try not to watch those. Oh, they're pretty good. Late at night. In I the like dark. Shaun of the Dead. That was funny. The whole scene where they're playing on the piano, Violet and Magic, I thought Magic was like practicing in a back room. For some reason, that looked like a back room to me. But with more viewings, I realized it was just a different angles of the club. Yeah. Again, it showed you a nice big wide shot of the not fixed up pool hall. (laughs) Maybe that's just her style. Could be. I mean, if you were going for a 40s nightclub look, you wouldn't have a 50s all brand new diner look, I guess. Right. There were two types of slow motion in this episode. Did you notice the difference between the two? Um, no. Okay, let's talk about that. During the end of the episode, there was like real slow motion, which is when they intend to shoot it in slow motion. So what they do is they film it with the camera and the camera films it at a faster speed. So when you play it back at normal speed, say uh, 24 frames per second, you have a lot more frames per second than you would if you shot it normally 24 frames per second. So it's slow motion. Earlier on in the episode, when Magic arrives to the pool hall, there's a slow motion scene in there for about two minutes while music plays. Now, this was not shot at a higher speed and then played back at 24 frames per second. And how you can tell is because it's very skippy from one frame to the next. And it almost looks like uh, one of those old-fashioned flip books. You know, around the turn of the century, you'd go down to the local uh, drugstore and watch a short movie with postcards that would flip around. No, I don't know that. I I don't remember that in my day. Oh. (laughs) Sorry, I might have that thing that the guy from forever has. Don't tell nobody. 
It'll be our secret. I just like uh, motion pictures and old technology and stuff. That's it. Uh-huh. But um, definitely two types of slow motion. So maybe if you watch it again, check that out. I think it looks better when it's meant to be slow motion. The other part, the reason I think they put in slow motion, and I really don't know, but my best guess from what I saw of this episode is that when they put the final episode together, it was running short, which back then they needed 47 minutes. Now there's like 42 minute versions out there for syndication, which cut out a lot. But back then they needed 47 minutes and they might have had like 45 because my biggest indication of this is the credit sequence is about four minutes long of just shots from the episode with music playing. And you never see a four minute credit sequence in an episode of television. So that tells me they were trying to stretch it. And another way they tried to stretch it was taking the shots of magic and Violet walking into the blues club and making that slow motion as well. I totally didn't notice any of that. It just (laughs) looked like slow motion. Well, now you'll know what to look for next time you watch slow motion. In this episode, Sam is playing pool against Eddie for the marker of the pool hall. Now, he is not good at pool. So Sam and Al come up with a plan to cheat at this game. So we have our main hero of the episode cheating to win. Do you have a problem with that? See, my whole thing is, why do you think he leaped into this episode to win the game? To either save Violet's club or to save her from getting taken advantage of by someone that had power over her. My assumption for how the first timeline went is that Magic denied his eyes being bad, lost the game, and she lost her pool hall. Or she ended up being taken advantage of by Eddie or whatever, right? That's my assumption of how the first timeline went. I could be wrong. So Sam leaps in for the purpose of saving this whole situation. He's tried other options. He tried to get the loan. He has tried to come up with other ideas without any clue. He can't learn pool in a day. So I don't really think he has any other option at this point. If you look at it like that, he's cheating in every leap because Al basically tells him what to do in those moments every time and nobody can see Al. So if you look at it that he's cheating at this game, then he's basically cheating at every episode because even in the boxing episode, he's like, hit him with your left arm and the right there in his jaw. You know what I mean? Like he talks him through everything in every episode anyway. So. If you think that's cheating, then he's probably been cheating this whole time. I mean, he cheated flying that plane in the first episode because Al told him everything to do. I didn't think of it as cheating. I just thought of it like he had no other choice. I mean, ideally, he would have learned how to play pool, but it would have been there a while. I feel a little bit better about this now. Do you? (laughs) I do. Did you know that the laser beams? I don't think everybody can see your air quotes. Oh. Did you know that they were going to fail at the end and he would have to take that final shot? I figured something was going to happen that Al had to go away or that something was going to happen or it would be pretty boring. Right. It wouldn't be a great ending if, yep, I just got that last shot because uh, I followed the light beam. Yeah. I figured he'd have to do something on his own. Usually that's how it happens. Al's like, I'm going to be there for you the whole time. And either Al shows up late or Al has to leave early, or something happens that Sam has to fly solo for whatever reason. That's usually the formula. A little thing we learned, I think this episode proves my thought that there are people monitoring the imaging chamber and Al back at Project Quantum Leap. 
because to get those laser beams on the pool table and where they needed to be in the holographic simulation that Sam could perceive, it only took three, maybe four taps of his hand link to do that. So either it was already in the hand link as an app and he just opened the app that happens to trace paths of billiard balls or somebody back at the lab is like, I'm on it. And somebody should make that app. I'm sure it does with the augmented reality, you know, with phones now. I'm sure they have it. Yeah, that's pretty cool. But maybe that's a clue to something in the future. Don't know. Uh, Overall, you liked it? Yeah. I loved it. I can tell you're so enthusiastic about this one. I know. One thing that made this episode so special for me was my crush that I have on Sherry Headley. And after I spoke with her, I can't say that I don't have the crush anymore. It's actually worse. (laughs) She was so nice, so prepared, and just so lovely to talk to. And I was nervous because of the aforementioned crush, but I think it turned out pretty well. I think you were just imagining her in that dress the whole interview. I can't disagree with you. (laughs) Since the day that Sherry Headley received a personal call from Eileen Ford saying that Sherry had beat out thousands of hopefuls in the prestigious Ford Modeling Agency's Supermodel of the World contest, Her star has continued to rise. Soon after, the Queen's New York native got commercial offers to promote such companies as L'Oreal, Burger King, Macy's, and Avon, to name a few. Network television shows soon began to knock at her agent's door with guest-starring roles in Miami Vice and The Cosby Show. In 1988, she won the lead over 2,000 actresses to make her film debut starring opposite Eddie Murphy in the blockbuster hit Coming to America. This film has become an internationally known cult classic that has managed to cross all ethnic barriers and remains a favorite with each generation. Roles opposite veteran actors Andy Griffith on Matlock and Telly Savalas on Kojak would help Shari continue to sharpen her acting skills. She was asked to try her hand at singing when she guest starred alongside Scott Bakula in the classic television series Quantum Leap, where she showed off her vocal ability playing the role of Violet Walters, a club owner in the 1950s. Sherry has been in many projects, including All My Children, 413 Hope Street, New York Undercover, Malcolm and Eddie, The New Love Boat, Walker, Texas Ranger, The Wayans Brothers, 10 Things I Hate About You, and Castle. She also had the opportunity to work with Academy Award winner Denzel Washington in The Preacher's Wife and Will Smith in the Wild Wild West music video. The NAACP Image Award nominee's career continues today with roles in L.A. Hair, Love That Girl, I Really Hate My Ex, The Congregation, and The Haves and The Have-Nots. Thank you so much, Sherry, for joining me today. How are you doing? I'm great. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to talk to you. I really love the episode of Quantum Leap you're in, Pool Hall Blues. Can you tell me a little bit about how you got the role and uh, a little bit about the filming of Quantum Leap? Wow. Um, Well, of course, the role called for a singer, and I am not necessarily a singer. You know, there are singers who act. I'm an actress that sings. I love music. And um, thankfully, Scott Bakula loves music as well. So uh, he actually wrote one of the songs. But initially, going back to the the audition part of it, they were asking for someone who could sing. And um, you know what? I I just winged it. I I thought, you know what? I'm going to go for it. So I did. and, And I was so happy to have uh, 
have gotten the role because it was an amazing role to play. What a great show. It was great uh, working for Donald Belisario. I mean, look at all the amazing shows he's done, you know, Magnum P.I. and, you know, all of these great shows and um, really nice man to work for. Really great show. That's why I'm excited to talk about it today. It was a great episode. I can't believe you weren't a singer because you were absolutely amazing in that episode, especially singing live on camera at the piano with Scott. Oh, thank you. That, yeah, that was, oh my gosh, how exciting was that? And I just have to say that Scott Bakula is, is probably, he's in like my top two of actors that uh, are just the most amazing people on the planet. Like he is just an amazing person on screen and off, you know, just such a, a gracious person, just a, a wonderful person to work with and so talented. I mean, to write the music. Um, of course, Mike Post was the, the music director on the show, so um, he had something to do with it as well. But um, just, uh, gosh, uh, working with Scott was great. And you have to excuse me, by the way, I'm just getting over a really bad cold, so this is not my normal voice. So please don't ask me to sing today. I mean, I could try to belt out, <laughs> I could try to belt out a few, a few tunes, but I don't know that it will sound like the original show. You sound really good to me. Oh, thank you, Alfie. At the beginning of the episode, the songs you were singing, did you have to pre-record those and then lip sync to that? Uh, well, um, Stormy Weather was the only thing that we lip synced. Okay. Uh, the rest, when uh, Scott and I were sitting at the piano, that was definitely live. So we went in studio to do Stormy Weather, and I just remember Deborah Pratt saying to me, you know, you've got to sing it from way down deep, you know, like... <laughs> She was really uh, on me about really having a lot of meaning behind those words. And um, so that was my first experience being in studio and singing. And uh, that was great. So I did lip sync the beginning of the show when I'm on the stage and, and that whole bit. But the rest of it was actually live. We sat down at the piano together and we just did it until it was right. But we, you know, we didn't have to do a whole bunch of takes because Scott was, he was great. It looked like you were really enjoying yourself while you were doing it too. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a great show. I mean, if we're still talking about it, how many years later is this? It's like 25 yeah, years, 25. probably, right? Yeah. Wow. So to still be talking about it uh, says something. I mean, it's a, it's a great show, great concept. So I was, I was excited to even be doing it. What did you think of the uh, script and the story for the episode? I thought it was great. I mean, 1954, what an amazing time in history. That was uh, probably the birth of the civil rights movement. It's just amazing to just kind of go back in time. I mean, the costumes and, you know, there were some things that we were dealing with. Um, like when I go to the bank to try to get a loan, that whole scene with Robert Gossett playing the banker, that was pretty interesting. Like me not being able to get the loan and, and feeling pressured to have a mark on the club so that I could get the money to save it. It was a great, great time, great time to, uh, not that it was, you know, not that it was, <laughs> it was a tough time in history, but I mean, it, right. was, it was a great time to, to play, you know, as an actress to go back in history and play all of that nature. Yeah, the episode had to do with uh, racism and sexism in the 50s. How do you think, or do you think culture has improved since then? And are those issues still prevalent today? Well, you know, uh, I guess if you look at the news, a lot of people will say that there, you know, it is still something that we deal with. I think, honestly, Albie, as long as people are different, 
there'll always be some sort of issue. You know, if somebody's taller or shorter or, you know, mm. there'll always be something, you know, if we were all the same color, then it would be, oh, well, that person, you know, has one arm or, you know what I mean? So mm-hmm. unfortunately, when people um, are different, there's always going to be something. There will always be someone trying to feel better or want to feel like they're above someone else. It's unfortunate, but we are still dealing with some of these issues, unfortunately. Hmm. Hopefully it's getting better little by little. Yeah, I would, I would really, really like to believe that. I would really like to believe that. You mentioned uh, the period clothes, and I have to say one of my favorite parts of the episode is you in that dress. Oh, yeah. Um, the clothes are great. Um, wonderful costume design. I mean, I, as, as actors, when we put on costumes, it is um, it's very important. It's, it's really, it, it really kind of just brings you right into the character. You know, it just kind of puts the cherry on top of everything. So I really felt the part. My hair was done a certain way and my makeup and just that dress and singing on stage and the lighting and looking out into the audience of people who had costumes of that time and that period. It was great. Awesome. During the filming of uh, that episode, everybody looked like they were extremely hot and sweaty. Did they spray you down with uh, a <laughs> fake sweat or was it really that hot? Uh, <laughs> that's a really... That's a really good question. Um, as I remember it, it was more um, the spraying down, and it might have been a little warmer because anytime you have a bunch of lights, it is warmer. But uh, I think it was just to show that it was kind of like hot southern heat, with you know the fans not helping much, that kind of thing. So yeah, I think we were pretty much sprayed down. <laughs> uh, was that all in sound stages? Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. Can you tell me a little bit about working with uh, the other actors in this episode? They are all really good, I think. Oh, yeah. Um, well, well, certainly, you know, we can't mention the show without mentioning Dean Stockwell, who, uh, I mean, I can go all the way back. I'm, I'm such a movie buff, so um, I just remember going all the way back to The Boy with the Green Hair. That was like 19, might have been like 1940s or something like that. But um, Dean Stockwell being a veteran actor and... Uh, another great guy to work with. You know, he was just so cool. Like his whole demeanor was so cool. And, um, and again, you know, when you work with with veteran actors like Dean and Scott, it, it was just such a pleasure. It wasn't even a matter of someone trying to be like a star, so to speak. I mean, there are certainly stars in their own life, but what I'm saying is that on set to work with them, you know, all of that star stuff doesn't come into play. They're there to work and, and make the uh, the story come to life. So just a real pleasure to work with, with both of them. So Dean was kind of cool, just kind of having seen him in films all my life, and, and there he was on set. So that was cool. Um, of course, Robert Gossett, uh, as the banker, um, he ended up doing The Closer for many years. But interestingly enough, I have not seen anyone from the show since we did the show, except that, I used to run into Scott all the time in Ralph's supermarket. How crazy is that? <laughs> that, that is crazy. <laughs> is that funny? Like I would run into him all the time and he would always be once again, so kind and he would stop and, and chat with me. And, you know, I haven't seen him in a while, not since I've been um, out of that part of the Valley, but uh, yeah, I'm trying to think of some of the other actors on the show. 
Let's see. Teddy Wilson, uh, of course, um, unfortunately passed away. Yeah. Um, so that was, that was kind of tough, but he was a wonderful man. And I just remember him saying, but the Bathsheba, like he was, <laughs> when he was saying the name of his pool cue. And, um, that was just kind of like his character thing, but, um, that was pretty cool. And of course, you know what? Working with Robert Rags Woods, who was really, he really was a pool player. Did you know that? No, I didn't. Okay. He really was a pool hustler. And I think that may have been the only thing he ever did, um, in television or film, but he really, he was the one that set up all of those amazing shots that you see. And, um, very nice man to work with. But, um, aside from being the reflection in the mirror, he was, um, you know, I guess just, they used him as a professional, you know, that was able to, to tell them about all these shots, but he, he was a nice man as well. That's awesome. I had no idea. Your career has been amazing. I mean, to start out thank you. with, uh, one of my favorites coming to America, I've seen it so many times. Oh, thank you. Can you tell me a little bit about your experience with that? Well, um, of course, I did Coming to America before Quantum Leap. So I think I did Quantum Leap in like 1990. And then doing that film, I don't think any of us had any idea that it would become this amazing cult film. And, and like Quantum Leap, we're still talking about it 25 years later, 25 plus years. But again, another amazing experience. Um, Costume designs were, were wonderful. It was just a, a fun, fun movie to do. And what a great cast. Think about like Samuel Jackson, who was like the holdup guy. <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, he was just like the holdup guy. Like nobody even thought about Samuel Jackson back then. And look at where he ended up. So um, a lot of people you can look at in that film and say, wow, you know, look at this person's career and where they went fun to do and, and people still bring it up and, and I'm I'm glad that I'm associated with the film because it's it's a film that everyone loves. You know, they don't look at it and go, Oh, I hated that movie. It was the worst ever. Like it's it's this fun, amazing movie that people still quote all the time and it's great working with John Landis, wonderful director, funny guy, really, really funny guy. It's fun. I mean, I had a, a really good time. Really good time. It still holds up. I mean, you, you still laugh every time you watch it, I think. At least I do. <laughs> All right. So here's something. I have not seen Coming to America in its entirety since I made it, which was oh my goodness. back in 88. I have not seen it because we promoted the film. It was just pretty much me and maybe Arsenio, I think, that promoted the film. Eddie didn't really promote it at the time, but uh, we pretty much went across the United States and to London to promote it. So I had seen it about 50 times Oh wow! <laughs> within <laughs> a couple of months. So I have not seen it since. And um, my son has not seen it. My son is 20 years old now, but he has not seen it in its entirety. So throughout school, you know, kids would be like, Hey, do you know who your mom is? And he'd be <laughs> like, Oh brother, you know, who cares? Like, he, he doesn't even, like, think about it in that way. Like, he's sort of like, yeah, whatever. My mom's an actress. You know, your mom's a nurse. My mom's an actress. So, um, yeah, he doesn't think I'm a, a, I'm a big deal. You got into the business through modeling. I did. I, uh, I started out as a, a Ford model. I was discovered by Eileen Ford back uh, in the 80s, back in, like, 1984. And, uh, yeah, that is how I started my career. 
And who knew, who knew that uh, it would turn out the way that it did? I, I always wanted to be an actress, but how can you turn down Eileen Ford? I mean, she discovers mm. you, what are you supposed to say? No, <laughs> I, I think I'll pass, you know? But uh, that was, um, those were fun times as well. Modeling in the 80s, that was uh, very interesting, very interesting uh, fashion-wise, all the, that 80s clothing. And um, I worked for a lot of big companies and did a lot of beauty, like for Avon and L'Oreal. And uh, yeah, it was, I think it gave me some some good characters, you know, for my future acting career. Met a lot of interesting people back then. Andy Warhol, like I, I hung out, I got to hang out with him a lot. and. Um, he was very big on the scene, you know, so, um, yeah, it was tough when we lost him, you know, mm. very tough. Were you surprised at how quickly your career took off or did you just think at the time that's the way it works? Um, I think I'm still amazed. I, I have to tell you, Alvi, I am still wowed by all of it. I really am. And, and, um, I meet people today and I'm, you know, I'm still such a big fan of other actors and I still think it's, it's just, it's, it's a very, very big deal to me. I don't, I don't take any of it for granted. Trust me. You're involved in a organization called Saving Our Daughters? Yes, I am. Um, Curtis Benjamin is the founder of Saving Our Daughters and, um, he lost his daughter to brain cancer. Mm. And, um, as she was going through chemotherapy and, and so forth, and she lost all of her hair, uh, she was bullied by other children. And, um, you know, she's a strong young girl, beautiful young girl. And she, with her dad, Curtis, uh, he, he shaved his hair off, you know, as a, as a tribute to her. And, um, she said, you know, dad, I want you to promise me that she knew, unfortunately she was going to lose her life to cancer. And she said, you know, I want you to go on and make sure that nobody else is bullied again. So he just kind of carried the torch from this strong little girl. And, uh, so it's an, an anti-bullying foundation and, uh, you know, they do a lot more besides that. But, um, I met Curtis and, uh, through him, I, I started working with the boys and girls club as well. And, uh, so I've done a lot with them and, um, to the extent that I actually ended up receiving an award, the, uh, the 2013 President's Volunteer Service Award from President Barack Obama. Oh, wow. So that was a, a very, yeah, that was a very, very big deal as well. So, um, did you meet him? I did not meet him. Um, so the, you know, they sent a representative and they sent the award and, and all that. And I have this amazing, um, plaque and it's got a letter and, uh, my picture on it and it's all signed by him. But, I have not met him yet, but I plan to someday. <laughs> awesome. That's a very important work. When I was a kid and uh, when I was in middle school and high school, I was bullied really bad. And uh, it's it, back then, you know, it was just like toughen up, kid. But now at least it's an issue and people take it seriously. And I'm so happy about that. And I'm, I'm very glad of the work you're doing with that. Oh, thank you. I really appreciate that. Yeah, it's, it's tough. Listen, it's happened to me as well. And um it's not a nice thing. And, and obviously bullies, they've got their own issues and their mm -hmm. own fears. And that's why they pick on other people. So speaking of awards, you were nominated for an NAACP award. Uh, yeah, actually, I think I've been nominated twice. I think it was oh, Hope wow. Street, 413 mm -hmm. Hope Street and uh, All My Children. I think those were the two nominations. 
See, when you're just nominated and you don't win, it's sort of like, yeah, I think I was nominated. <laughs> but when you win, it's sort of like, yeah, I won that back in 19, so <laughs> such and such, you know. <laughs> yeah, but I think it was All My Children and um, 413 Hope Street. And I was a pretty sore loser, I have to tell you, because when I didn't win, I was like, all right, that's it. I want to go home. Like, I didn't want to, I didn't want to sit through the, <laughs> the rest of the award show. You know how people just sort of sit there. Uh-huh. And when you're watching the telecast, they have like the screen, the television screen is like separated into four. Mm-hmm. And then the person that wins is like, Ooh, and then they like sort of jump out of frame and the rest of the people are sitting there clapping with like a <laughs> smile on their face. Yeah. So I was sitting in my little square, like with a really mean face and I wasn't <laughs> clapping. And I was really mad. And then, I'm, I'm serious. I'll be right after that. I was like, I want to go home. Like I want to go have a knish and go home. And I'm <laughs> tired. And, yeah, I didn't want to sit through the rest. I'll be honest. You know, I don't know about other people, but I was pretty pissed off. Yeah, that's honesty because most people just say, oh, no, it was great to be nominated. and Yeah, that's a bunch of crap. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't matter. Like, if you, don't, <laughs> if you don't win, yeah, forget it. I wanted snacks and I wanted to go home. That was it. I don't blame you. Because you get hungry. Sitting, you're sitting there for hours with these award shows. So if you don't win, then you're you're pissed and you're hungry. So <laughs> if they tell you, they're like, oh, it's it's a pleasure. Whatever. You're lying. <laughs> Not true. Well, <laughs> luckily, if you do get up and leave, there's somebody to fill your seat, right? Oh, yeah. They totally have uh, what they call seat fillers, which uh, which is convenient. And I'm sure I had one there. I don't know whether it was a man or woman or if they were in a tuxedo or a dress, but somebody was sitting in my seat because I was out of there. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> um, some upcoming projects you have that uh, I'm looking forward to. Uh, switched at birth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's exciting. See, that's what I'm saying. I know I'm using a lot of the same words, but um, it's just, it's all exciting. I mean, what a what a, an interesting show. These young girls that are switched at birth and they have um, lives that are completely turned around. Um, and the, the lead actress, Vanessa Milano, lovely young lady, uh, great cast. And uh, so I have an, an upcoming guest star role on that and I can't even tell you when it's coming out but I do have that coming out on ABC Family I think it is okay we'll be on the lookout for that yeah 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 good stuff good stuff please look for that could you tell me a little bit about the haves and the have nots yes I play the DA Jennifer Salison and um, the interesting part about playing that role is that it's completely opposite from what people normally see me in, you know, I, I, I'm a pretty straight shooter in, in a lot of my roles and, um, just kind of, um, been, I've gotten sort of the nice girl image, especially from coming to America, that whole thing. Uh, but fortunately Tyler Perry, who is, I mean, I, I am just wowed by him. He gave me an opportunity to play the B-I-P-C-H. See, I didn't even say it because I know it's a podcast, but he gave me an opportunity to play, uh, you know, the B word, which is, I mean, it is just amazing. I love playing this role and um, I will be returning in January 6th on OWN TV. Um, I can officially say that Oprah is my boss since she owns OWN TV. Wow. And that's that's kind of a cool thing to say. So, uh, yes, the premiere of the show is uh, January 6th on OWN TV. So please watch out for that as well. I am returning as the DA, the the very B-word DA. And um, I got to tell you, Tyler Perry, 
does it all. He, he writes and he produces and, um, he just does it with such ease and such talent that uh, I think people, when they see this season, are going to be like rolled over. Like they better buckle their seatbelts because it is great. Like the storyline, his writing, I just, I love, love, love picking up a script and seeing what he has in store for us because um, it's just such a pleasure to just open up the script and, and feel so comfortable with the words because it's just great writing. I mean, I can't even, I can't say enough about it. It's great writing. Um, and I have picked up scripts and said, Oh, this is really crappy, but you know, I'll, I'll make it work, but that's not the case. Tyler Perry writes stuff that you're just like, you know, you're thirsting to just get out there and, and, you know, act it out and, um, just excited for people to see when it comes to screen. So, Please watch out for that, everybody. It's it's um it's going to be a lot of fun, a lot of fun this season. Going back to Quantum Leap, what was it like playing Sam Beckett's granddaughter versus the love interest of the week, which is the norm? Oh, it was interesting because you know Scott had to embrace a character much older than him, a different ethnicity, and of course the same for me. You know, I had to look at him as not. Scott, the man that he is, but the mirror image of him, you know, my grandfather, you know, I had to find those moments. I think we we both had to find those moments where we were connecting as granddaughter and grandfather versus here's this hot looking young guy sitting next to me. (laughs) You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. You know, that's a handsome guy. So it's, um, it it was those moments that were um, interesting to play. And I think, of course, he did a wonderful job of that, and and I hope I did as well. But um, and I think we found those moments, especially like at the piano, you know, when he came over to to talk to me, and ultimately we sang together. Here I was, kind of tinkering on the piano, just sad, and you know, he came over to um, to console me as a grandfather would. So um, yeah, it was a. It was, it was great. I found myself watching it because you forget that he's playing your grandfather and you guys seem to have so much chemistry. You kind of want you to kiss, but then you realize, no, that's your grandfather. Oh, well, yeah. I mean, well, who knows? You know, <laughs> um, that's NCIS New Orleans. So you know what? There's still time. Hey, there you, you go. You never know. I could come back in a completely different role and be his love interest now. I mean, I don't know. That put it out would there. be awesome. <laughs> I would. I would totally watch that. Thank you. Yeah, I would too. Like, I don't watch myself often, but I think I would watch that. <laughs> <laughs> um, I have a silly question. Yeah. All throughout the episode, Pool Hall Blues that you did, they keep asking him, uh, Scott's character, if he's been eating onions again. I know. That's... What was that about? <laughs> is, there, is that a thing? That's Do you know about funny. that? That's funny. You know, I I wish I could say that I did know what was behind that. Um but apparently, I guess eating onions kind of made him a little zonky, you know, because <laughs> I kept looking at him in his eyes and saying, have you been eating onions again? <laughs> so maybe he had an allergy to them. But um, funny, I think I was I was too green of an actress back then to to really ask that deep of a question or really to look that deeply into it. But uh, very interesting. That would be a good question for Mr. Belisario, mm. or, you know, maybe Deborah, or someone, you know, like that. 
you mentioned Deborah was there to uh, help you through the singing and uh, like to direct you almost uh, when you're recording. Yeah, she was. Yeah, she sure was. Was she there for the whole episode? And did she give you any pointers? I, I know she wrote a lot of episodes about racism. She didn't write this episode, but like, was mm-hmm. she involved? She was. She was very hands on. And um, it was nice because she was also very supportive throughout. And again, I, I wasn't too sure of myself and the singing area, but um, she was there from from point A to point Z, so um, I was glad to have her. I really was, especially in studio, because that was kind of a scary experience. Good. It really was. When watching the episode, there's some, uh, let's say, words that are used because it's a period piece that we don't use today. Was that uncomfortable filming, or did anybody have issues with that at all? Uh, no. I mean, you know, understanding the time, I mean, you're saying Negro, nobody uses the word Negro anymore. Mm. You know, he was a Negro banker. Mm. Uh, but, you know, understanding that it was 1954, you have to make that adjustment. That was the time in history where that's the word that they use, you know, um, mm-hmm. and that word has evolved to, you know, black and African-American, and, but that was the word of the time. I love that face that you made when uh, your grandfather was calling you a business person. Yeah. Oh, okay. That's funny. Yeah, that is, that's true because um, you would say businessman, a business person, like, you know, we're talking about, again, you know, going back to the pre-civil rights era or really the birth of civil rights. Women weren't really taking such a stand, you know, they were still kind of like standing behind the man, so to speak. And I think maybe like the following year, you had Rosa Parks, I think it was 1955, like the, you know, the Montgomery bus boycott was maybe the following year in history, you know, where a woman actually took a stand and said, I am going to sit in the front, not in the back. So that was, was also, you know, the beginning of women maybe having certain rights. Yeah, that would have been a very unusual thing to say, business person. So, yeah, now that you're bringing up these little things, I'm remembering. <laughs> yeah, I just love that face. And I think you uh, use almost the same expression again in Coming to America. I watched that last night just to refresh <laughs> my memory. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, again, laughed all last night watching it. Oh, great. Do you have any stories that, uh, or something interesting that happened while filming this episode? I know it was 25 years ago, but a- anything that might give some uh, behind-the-scenes insight to uh, our listeners? Oh, wow. Um, well, gosh, um, I think one of the the most interesting things was actually watching them do those pool scenes. I mean, those were some incredible shots. I mean, if you look at the episode, those were really structured and, and planned out and and they really did those shots. So that was, uh, that was fun to watch. And um, I know that in the pool hall scene, it was it's kind of tough to film because it was, they were using a lot of smoke on the set. Um, they have smoke machines that make it have that kind of hazy look as if people are actually, you know, during that time, it was nothing for people to be sitting around smoking mm-hmm. in a pool hall. Now smoking is not the fashionable thing to do. But... Um, they had these smoke machines going and uh, it's kind of tough to work with, uh, <laughs> with smoke machines. Believe me, they're kind of like, <laughs> but um, they do their best to make the actors comfortable. But uh, that was, that was interesting with all those uh, smoke machines going. Um, let's see. Um, I know that the pool cues that they used 
like Alberta and um, the actual one that um, Scott used was like a very, very expensive pool cue. Like, I don't know much about pool cues, but I remember like when he was shooting, making those shots and so forth. And I think Scott did, he did quite a bit of it himself. Uh, they would always take the pool cue, take it apart, put it back in the box. You know, it was, they, they took care of those particular pool cues. I do remember that. Let's see what else behind the scenes. Um, the guy who played Eddie was really a nice guy in real life, even though he looked kind of scary and, and he was very mean, but uh, he's very nice in real life. I remember that. Um, and that's it. I mean, aside from, like I said, Scott being uh, one of the best people I've ever worked with in this industry. Really, really. I hope I do get to work with him again someday. Have you ever been recognized from this episode of Quantum Leap? Yes. I mean, strangely enough, um, there's such a huge cult following for this show that I have to tell you um, about a year ago, well, maybe, maybe almost two years ago. This is, this is a very interesting story. Um, I actually considered ending my acting career. Hmm. I know that may surprise you, yeah. may surprise you, but you know, it, it was a period of time where I thought, should I still be doing this? You know, it's something that I love to do, but other things come up in life, like real life things. You know, I'm a caregiver for my mom who's 89 years old and there's a lot of life things uh, were taking place. And I thought, you know, maybe I should just let it go, you know, but honestly, if something is meant to be, I'll be, um, you can't let it go because it won't allow you to. So here I was, this is a very funny story. I was in bed, bath and beyond of all places. And I run into this guy and, um, his name is Vincent. I came to know his name is Vincent, but he was walking around with a parrot. I know this is going to be a crazy story. <laughs> he was walking around with a parrot, of all things. And um, I thought that was really odd. So I walked up to him. I you know, have a habit of talking to people you know, uh, randomly. So I said, uh, excuse me, but you walk around with a parrot. Like, what's your parrot's name? And he said, oh, my parrot's name is Radar. And I thought, wow, that's pretty cool. Just kind of walking around in Bed Bath & Beyond. <laughs> so this guy's wife walks up and she says, yeah, you know, it's my husband. And he's just like one of these guys. He's like Rain Man. He, re he remembers certain things and he's, he's such a, a movie and television buff. And, and he goes, yeah, yeah, you know, you, you did an episode of Quantum Leap, did you? You played Violet Waters, you know, in a pool hall. And we like started rattling off this whole thing. And I go, now that's random. Like, you know, <laughs> you know, most people say come into America first. But right. he started going on about Quantum Leap and then, you know, other things. And he says to me, what are you doing lately? And I thought, oh, I'm thinking of kind of not doing this anymore, this acting thing. And he goes, oh, no, you know, you can't do that. You, you shouldn't do that. And I said, well, my agent let me go. And uh, that was one of the things also, Albie, that I thought, well, you know, my agent released me. And that never happened in my whole career. Wow. And uh, he said, well, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to find you a, a guy. I'm going to find you someone who's going to represent you. And you, know, you got to think, here I am in the Dead Death and Beyond. I meet this guy. He's got a parrot. You know, he's, he's going on about Quantum Leap and other things that I've done in my career that were kind of random. And so uh, my son is looking at me like, Mom, are you sure Like you should be talking to this guy? But anyway, he turned out to be legitimately a great guy who introduced me to, wait for it, he introduced me to my current manager, Peter Gianni. And Peter 
just changed everything. We went on to do after that, the haves and the have nots and so forth and so on. I got to meet Tyler Perry and the rest is history. And so many more things have happened since then. So um, it started with the guy in Bed Bath and Beyond with the parrot who talked about quantum leap. So that's a, that's a great little story to talk about. And, and again, you know, I have a great manager right now, Peter Gianni is, is awesome. And, uh, and he, of course, set up this podcast with you, and, and uh, I'm so happy that I had an opportunity to talk to you today. He's very helpful. Yeah, he is a great guy. It's amazing how uh, something as strange or as random as a trip to Bed Bath & Beyond can have such an impact on your life. <laughs> it, can, it can be life-changing. Isn't that funny? Again, that's uh, like going back to Quantum Leap. The littlest changes in time can affect everything after that. That's right. That's right. And you got to think this whole quantum leap concept happened way before. Like people often talk about Benjamin Button or, you know, that kind of thing, sort of time travel thing. But uh, quantum leap really started it all. And I mean, what an incredible concept. Think about it. This guy goes back in time to right wrongs. How cool is that? How cool is that? I like it. You know? <laughs> I love it. I mean, if we could only have a real Dr. Sam Beckett, that would be very cool. If you could talk to all the listeners right now that really love you and your character that you played on Quantum Leap, what would you say? Well, first of all, um, I too am a fan of the show. And um, just thank you. Thank you for for supporting Quantum Leap all these years. And um, for those of you who have supported me and my career and who love me, I love you all too. I really, really do. And, and, you know, let's just keep this thing going. It's, it's, again, it's, we've got such a, a cult following of the show and um, I do know that it's on Netflix, although my episode is not on Netflix. So I know I want the fans. Yeah. What's up with that? What is? I want the fans to write to Netflix and let's get pool hall blues on Netflix because uh, that's an episode that I think people should see for sure. But Thanks for the support all these years. Um, and again, I don't think Quantum Leap is going anywhere. But I do, like, I want to go when you, when you, when they have these conventions and stuff like that, I want to go to one of those and hang out with everybody. That would be great. That would be awesome. That would be awesome. I'll be there. So hopefully I'll get to meet you. Yeah, definitely. But uh, what a pleasure speaking to you, Alpi. Thank you for taking the time to speak to me and to ask me such fun questions. And I hope uh, you enjoyed it too. different reasons but you all come the same place i'm ron glass and if you're not listening to the signal you could be headed to a special hell hi this is adam baldwin and you're listening to the goram signal we're just happy to be doing good works hi this is tina torres and you're listening to the big damn podcast hi this is marina baccarin this is the signal what you didn't see that coming i want to make some noise i want to make a joyful noise i want to make too much noise make it go further what make the signal Go further. As Malcolm Reynolds would say, I can do this We're a podcast all about Firefly and Serenity. 
On our shows, you will find features and news, reviews and articles, interviews, and anything else we can think of relating to the verse of Firefly and Serenity. We're continuing to explore the verse, and we want you to join us. Just go to www.serenityfirefly.com. Shiny. Let's be bad guys. The Signal. We We aim aim to misbehave. Hi, my name's Peter. I'm a Jehovah's Witness here to spread the good news of the story of Jesus Christ. Okay, go ahead. Really? Wow. Um, boy, you're the uh, first person who didn't uh, slam the door on me. <laughs> uh, okay, um, well, uh, Jesus uh, was a miracle worker of sorts. Um, he would travel from place to place, putting things right that once went wrong, and hoping each time that his next leap would be the leap home. <laughs> you think you're doing with my wife? Oh, boy. When you're feeling down And there's trouble all around you When it seems like nothing Is gonna turn out right When you just can't see any silver lining Put your hands together And just hold on tight He'll be there when you need some comfort you gotta believe when you get down on your knees you'll be there to make the sunshine again but you gotta believe when you get down on your knees you'll be there to make the sunshine again you'll be there to make This is Michelle Joyner, and you're listening to the Quantum Leap Podcast. I love that clip from Family Guy. Yeah, it's always cool when they mention Quantum Leap in other places. And it's always great to see Quantum Leap being referenced in different things. So what do you think of the interview? I think she was a really cool person. Like, she seemed like a really awesome person. She was really nice, too. You can tell she watched the episode. I would be lying if I said that every time she said my name, I didn't melt a little. Even when we were listening to it, you got all excited. <laughs> it's like, yeah, she said Albie. She seems like an awesome person. But most of the guests you have on our show seem amazing. I liked the realness of her interview. Just the realness that she brought. She was really down to earth saying she was a big fan of other actors and that her son doesn't even like think of her as a big deal or anything. I can't believe her son hasn't seen Coming to America in its entirety. I thought everybody had seen that. Yeah, I mean, I haven't seen it in a couple years, but I've definitely seen it recently enough to remember everything. Did you uh, have a great holiday? 
I did. I did. Well, it was nice. Um, our daughter is now old enough to kind of understand what Christmas was. So she woke up at seven o'clock in the morning. It was like, it's Christmas. Let's get up and open presents. And it was really cool because she was like, why are you guys forcing me to open another one? I just want to play with each gift. She would have opened presents for nine hours. So it was fun. And we, I don't know if you guys went on the Quantum Leap Facebook, but there, we were definitely in matching pajamas. It's pretty awesome. Did you get anything cool for the holidays? Um, I have started my Department 56 Disney Christmas Village and I got a Fitbit. I got a MacBook Air a few months ago when I started my new job. So I finally got one of those little decals for the back. It's Stitch holding the apple. And I'm such a big Disney freak that I was really excited about that. Oh, and I got, I'm, I'm now one of those people with the Bluetooth headphones. I got a pink set of LG, I think HBS 730s. Those are nice. I got a black pair for my birthday. Yeah. Yeah, they're pretty awesome. I, mine are hot pink because I'm that cool but I can use them to make phone calls at my new job and they're pretty awesome. So I I got a pretty um, tech gadgets Christmas, which was pretty cool. But my Fitbit is awesome. I walked five miles yesterday at work. It looks cool. It's an OLED thing. It's really Yeah, it's got a watch on it. So like if nothing else, it's a watch, but it also tracks my steps in the app. I can see how much water I had all day and food and stuff. I don't know. It's pretty cool. I got, a 4K TV, which was my big gift. Yeah. Very happy about that. The Black Friday sales yes. before anybody thinks we're super rich. No, not rich at all. <laughs> we just got a really good deal on one. Um, I'm very excited for that gift. Uh, everybody that's been hearing me talk about Quantum Leap in HD, eventually, hopefully, if Skipper Martin's right, they'll remaster it in 4K and put it out somewhere. And I'll be like, those 13 nose hairs change from 13 to 12 back and forth between scenes. Oh, boy. That's all we need <laughs> for you to be more into the details of Quantum Leap. I was really excited for that. I got the Back to the Future 2 light-up shoes. They've been plugged into the wall. USB, rechargeable. I got a t-shirt that has a full print of the Star Trek The Next Generation Command uniform on it, which was pretty cool. It was pretty cool looking. Really cool. Yeah, I had a great time. My best time was just watching uh, Rennie opening her gifts. And that's on YouTube. Yeah. It's about 37 minutes long. <laughs> but we condensed it because it would have been nine hours if we had <laughs> let her play with her presents. Oh, and she got a uh, one of those Kindles for kids. It's weird to have an Android tablet when you're an iPhone family. Yeah. I don't think she likes it as much as the iPad. I think that it's just new and she has to get used to it. But, but it, it's I think nice. we all have to get used to it because I don't know how to use it either. Yeah. I'm not an Android person. I'm a definitely an iOS person. Yeah. Now that I have my MacBook, I'm even more intertwined with the iOS systems. And uh, we got my mom a Kindle also so they can play together. A little backstory on that. Albie's mom... What used to be the hardest person to shop for. She's like, oh, I have everything, so I don't need anything. And every year would be like, well, you get her like a frame, get a photo. <laughs> and this year, or actually Mother's Day uh, 2014, we got her a regular Kindle, an e-reader Kindle. The, the regular Kindle, it has the buttons. It's not a touchscreen or anything like that because we wanted it to be pretty simple and she stopped reading because the the print, even the large print was too small. So we got her a Kindle and I think she's read like a few hundred books since Mother's Day. I mean, she is was on that thing all the time. She'd stay up all night reading. She was like a teenager 
with her new toy. It was so funny. Amazon Prime is a wonderful thing. Yeah. And we actually got, I think we got it for a really awesome sale too. So this year I was like, we wanted to get Rennie the kids Kindle because she's always on our phones and my iPad and <laughs> and her phone, which isn't really a phone. It's just one of our iPhones, our old ones, but it doesn't call out or do anything besides games and apps and stuff. And the regular Kindle fires were on sale. And I'm like, you know, maybe we could get your mom a Kindle fire because she was she's she has an iphone and she sits on her little iphone and plays pinochle all day so we got her a kindle fire and we actually sat them down in their matching pajamas on christmas eve next to each other and had them open it and they both opened their kindles and they looked at them like what the whole watching them and both of them not knowing what their gift was and trying to figure it out simultaneously was probably the funniest thing your mom for like 10 minutes had this like shock look on her face after she realized what it was so and and she hasn't put that down since Christmas Eve, so. Yeah, and we kind of split off into teams, and I taught my mother how to use the uh, Kindle, and you taught Rennie how to use the Kindle, and by the end of the night, they were in Kindle world. Yeah, and we were like, huh, well, that's how you do that. <laughs> so cute, and we had a great holiday, and thank you very much for the holiday wishes everybody sent to us, and we actually got some cards from the listeners, so thank you so much. Yes. Uh, we really appreciate those. I asked on our Facebook group, did you get anything quantum leap for the holidays hayden replied i got a watch and for a show about time travel that counts right i i think so stephen ball replied i got the ultimate collection getting ready for a quantum leap day which is cool sweet jenna ray johnson said the biggest christmas gift i could receive is a meet and greet with dean stockwell it hasn't happened yet wouldn't that be awesome that would be cool so uh dean if you're listening message jenna ray johnson susan smiley said, I got the Sam Beckett Oh Boy t-shirt and a Project Quantum Leap patch, courtesy of my mom. That's cool. Yeah. I gave the complete Quantum Leap book to my friend, Anna, and a Quantum Leap shirt from Cafe Press to my friend, Jesse. Awesome. Pretty nice. Pretty nice. And Kurt Marr said, I got the complete series on DVD. So, wow, we did have some Quantum Leap listeners that got some quantum leap gifts that's really cool i did get a chance to see the quantum leap complete series in best buy i did not buy it because i already own it on dvd and it's the same discs so 100 bucks is a lot for me yeah but i saw a picture of a complete series region 4 dvd of quantum leap it has a warning sticker on the front that says moderate science fiction content it, i feel like that's not shouldn't be a warning no how is that a warning is is it is science fiction like a bad thing somewhere i have no idea maybe tennessee we had a great holiday and Hopefully I get a job soon to pay for all the gifts that we bought. <laughs> that would be the greatest holiday miracle of all. We have some feedback. These emails will be read by one. And this email is from Father Beast. As Sam leaps in, he is subject to the usual disorientation of not knowing where he is or what's going on. But we're used to this by now and other people making fun of him is just part of the fun. The good news is he's a mortician, which is close enough to the doctor that Sam knows how to do the man's job. The bad news is he's a mortician, which makes everyone civil to him but nobody likes him. That he's not very good looking doesn't help. The strange flashbacks in this episode seemed pretty foreign to the story and they didn't seem to add anything, so I just chose to ignore them. What we have is a dead girl which turns into a murder mystery, which is eventually solved in the obligatory reveal scene. I like that Sam demonstrates the shoe as the murder weapon and the fact that the shoe not fitting the dead girl was the clue that allowed him to put everything together. 
it was all very nicely put together, with Sam as a time traveler being a pivotal role since few people of this time period would consider anything other than a boy-girl relationship. On a side note, it was neat seeing young Tom Paris before he went to Starfleet Academy to mess up Wesley Crusher's time as a student. Of course, we all see his father, Admiral Paris, already being the tyrant that Tom grows up to hate. Now, there seems to be some controversy in this episode, because there was apparently some feeling that the writer was using bad stereotypes of gay people in the story. The comic book I won from the essay contest went so far as to say it was doing the sequel to make right what once went wrong. I just didn't see it, but I want to examine it. Now, the best way to see if a thing is prejudicial is to reverse it. In this situation, there are several ways, since we have three people involved. The dead person, the dead person's first romance, and the dead person's second romance. Let's run down the possibility, shall we? If the dead person was a guy who was killed by his first boyfriend after finding true love with his second boyfriend, would I see prejudice based on sexual preference? No. If the dead person was a guy who was killed by his first girlfriend after finding true love with his second boyfriend? Not there either. If the dead person was a guy who was killed by his first boyfriend after finding true love with his second girlfriend? No. If the dead person was a guy who was killed by his first girlfriend after finding true love with his second girlfriend? No. If the dead person was a girl who was killed by her first boyfriend after finding true love with her second boyfriend? Not seeing it. If the dead person was a girl who was killed by her first boyfriend after finding true love with her second girlfriend? Failing to see it. If the dead person was a girl who was killed by her first girlfriend after finding true love with her second boyfriend? The situation in this episode? No. If the dead person was a girl who was killed by her first girlfriend after finding true love with her second girlfriend? Still nothing. A person killing a lover who leaves them for someone else is something that has happened all through history, to people of all kinds and types. To say I should be seeing some kind of prejudice just because some people are members of a group that has been discriminated against is just wrong. That is prejudice that I will not subscribe to. Interesting note, this episode is not available on Netflix for some reason, so I had to watch it on Hulu. The advantage there is that I know which episode is next. Next time, which ball am I shooting for? Father Beast. Well, at least he agrees with me. <laughs> yeah, I, I didn't see the prejudice in that one either. So I like how he broke it down. Literally every angle you can look at it, and that's probably the best way to do something. But does that make you agree with that too? I think so, yeah. My whole feeling on the episode now is what a lot of people say, that she's not a killer because she's a lesbian. She just is a killer, which is bad. And she just happens to be a lesbian. Right. And uh, I think that's something great, how a piece of art can be interpreted differently over time. So who knows what people will think in the future. The future. This one's from Aaron Brotherhead Moss. Greetings, Albie and Heather and the whole blooming Brady Bunch. Here are my thoughts and comments on the latest episode, Good Night, Dear Heart. First, let me say that I enjoyed this episode immensely and thoroughly loved your guys' commentary on it. Now, on to the specific notes. Regarding Albie's comments that love isn't bad, babies aren't bad, and so on, while all that is true, when 15 and 16-year-olds are having babies, that is a bad thing. If a person can't take care of themselves, how do you expect them to take care of a baby? Don't get me wrong, I am against abortions, but... The anyone that wants to have a baby should mindset is clearly wrong-headed. Clearly the old-time mentality is wrong, but accepting anything that anyone does is equally wrong. Again, this is my opinion, and I could be wrong, but I'm usually not. And I agree with Heather that people worry too much about what other people say and think. The world would be a much better place overall if people didn't worry so much about their neighbor's thoughts. 
Also, I don't think that the killer being a lesbian was a bad thing. You have to remember, she's a bad guy who's a lesbian, not a bad guy because she's a lesbian. I'm going to have to disagree with the one gal that called in. Sorry, I forgot to note her name and was too lazy to go back through the podcast to find out. She didn't like this episode because Hilla wasn't a lesbian but was bisexual, from the sounds of it. Also, she complained about Stephanie being the killer and a lesbian, so that says all lesbians are bad. Maybe I'm just more open-minded about this, but as I said previously, I always says Stephanie as a bad guy who's a lesbian, not a bad guy because she's a lesbian. And I grew up Pentecostal where the Bible says you're a sinner if you like people of the same sex. As for Hilla, I think making her bi or not 100% sure of her sexuality was a good choice. Contrary to what the caller thinks, not everyone is 100% sure of who they want to be with. Hilla being undecided and going back and forth is not a wrong choice. Also, sometimes... Possibly a lot, but I don't have any studies to prove it. But sometimes when someone gets raped or abused, that causes their thought process to go a little wonky, and sometimes they decide to give members of their same sex a chance. Even though a lot of people in the gay, lesbian, bisexual, transgender community want to deny it, it does happen. So showing it on a TV show, especially back in the less enlightened early 90s, is perfectly fine and acceptable. Again, maybe I'm in the minority, but I didn't see the show saying that any guy can fix a lesbian. Personally, I think that the young lady called in has some bad experiences or something in her past clouding her viewing of the episode. I don't know her, so possibly I'm wrong, but I think she's reading way too much negativity into the show that I don't think was there. If they would have made Greg or his dad the killer, that would have been way too predictable. I think having Stephanie kill Hilla was something different and original. And again, I have to disagree with the motive. I think that it was a crime of passion. I say crime because it was wrong, but I also think it was purely an accidental death. But it was still a murder, and Stephanie tried to cover that fact up. I think that if Steph would have come out right after Hilla's death and reported it to the police instead of dumping the body in the lake, things might have turned out differently. Of course, with the time period that it happened in, she still probably would have been in deep doo-doo with people not being quite so open-minded. But after everything I said, I really enjoyed this episode. I also read the comic series and loved seeing the sequel. I always love when they follow up later on characters we've already met. And regarding the iTunes reviews you read from last episode, yes, I am that brotherhead. And finally, on to Voyagers. The pocket watch that Albie remembers was called an Omni device, if I recall correctly. That's what allowed them to leap through time. It was basically their handling. From my memory, the show started with the main character, Bog, landing in a young boy's room. The boy dog grabbed Bog's guidebook, a book that would show him how history should play out, his version of Ziggy and Al, and ate it. Also, the young boy accidentally got knocked out of the bedroom window. It was upstairs, possibly an apartment. Bog jumped out of the window, grabbed the boy, and leapt. For lack of a better word, using his Omni device. Anyway, long story short, the Omni device was malfunctioning, so Bog couldn't just return the boy home. The only way to get out was to correct the mistakes in time. Luckily, the boy's dad was a history teacher, or professor, so the boy knew everything about history, luckily for Bog. So he traveled with Bog, helping him to fix history, i.e. correcting what once went wrong. But I'm going into way too much information for a Quantum Leap podcast. I have to review this show briefly on my Head Speaks podcast. Yes, a plug for my own podcast. Great memories. Anyways, thanks again for another great podcast about a fantastic TV series. Until next episode, Aaron, Brotherhead, Moss. So I think there's an ongoing theme here of... That sometimes we're reading into the episodes a little too much. <laughs> sometimes a cigar is just a cigar. Right. But they pretty much have the same opinion. Yeah, I think he brings up a great point about being bisexual. Recently, I heard a podcast. I love this podcast. It's called Girl on Guy with Aisha Taylor. 
She's a really good interviewer, and uh, one of her episodes had Sarah Gilbert on it. I think it was episode 142. And she talked a lot about how even in her community, uh, gay, lesbian community, there's a lot of pressure to, if you are gay, to stay gay or definitely identify with gay or straight. And there's not a lot of um, people that appreciate just a person as a person. And that's Sarah Gilbert's feeling on it. Like, she could fall in love with a guy. She can fall in love with a woman. It's just the person she falls in love with. She just happens to be with a woman right now well i feel like your attraction can change also like what you're attracted to even if you're only attracted to men or you're only attracted to women i feel like your type can change over the years too so like what you're attracted to can change whether you're attracted to a certain type body type or a certain you know hair eye combination or certain things that you look for in a person can change over your lifespan, whether you look for a responsible guy or a careless guy, or you look for a girl who's really good at, you know, one thing or something else. Personality types or physical traits over the course of your life are going to change for what you, how you change. I mean, you change through your life. So you look for someone that shares certain things with you. And what if those things happen to be with someone of the same sex or a different sex. I feel like you can find similar personality traits in different people all the time. I mean, if you look at your best friend, you're obviously best friends for a reason. Well, what if your best friend is a guy and you're a girl and, you know, eventually that goes to the next level or what it, it doesn't. I feel like it, your gender doesn't matter sometimes because you can be best friends with someone from the opposite sex and not have that sexual tension there or you could have sexual tension from someone with the same sex and it'd be a completely different thing like if you like one girl that doesn't mean you like all girls or you know what i mean mm-hmm. i don't know if i'm I understand what you're it's saying. kind of a random thought that i'm going off of but i you know how they try and tell people that are homophobic just because they're gay that doesn't mean they're attracted to you yeah. <laughs> like <laughs> usually <laughs> well but i mean like you know, usually there's like that guy that's afraid of the other gay guy because that means he's going to make a pass at him when normally it doesn't mean anything. <laughs> like just because I'm attracted to men doesn't mean I like all men. There are majority of <laughs> men I look at and I'm like, oh, yeah, no. So I don't know. I feel like you can connect with someone no matter what their gender is. I mean, I happen to be attracted to men, but it is what it is. <laughs> I think it's important to not have to identify yourself as one thing. I think uh, sexuality isn't a black or white thing. I think it's many shades of gray in between. 50 shades. No, (laughs) different topic. Anyway, um, I feel like it's also nobody's business what your sexuality is. That kind of goes with the other thing he said about people not caring what other people think. But it's none of anybody's business who I want to sleep with. Oh, Maybe mine. Well, I mean, that's a general rule. <laughs> you might want to consult me first. Stop it. You know what I meant. Okay. But really, I mean, if somebody wants to sleep with someone else, I don't think it's anybody else's business, but those people right. that are involved. Right. I would agree. So. so I think we're all right with the killer that just happens to be a lesbian. Right. And Hilla maybe being bisexual. Right. Okay. Again, that podcast is Girl on Guy with Aisha Taylor, and that's episode 142. Check it out. He talks a little bit about Voyagers. So I made the plunge and, you know, me, if I don't use my Amazon Prime, I feel like I'm wasting it. 
So I, I went ahead and got Voyagers, and I watched the first three episodes so far, and I'm loving it. It turned out to be, you know how usually you watch a show from your childhood, and you're disappointed, and you're like, how did I watch this? But uh, Voyagers holds up. It's pretty cool. I recently had that problem with Rugrats. Responsatility. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I would recommend Voyagers too. Like I said, I'm only three episodes in, but I'm loving it. This next email is from Lynn. Hi, Albie and Heather. I have been a Quantum Leap fan since 1993 when it was on USA. I quickly became a super fan, collecting all the Scott Bakula Quantum Leap memorabilia I could find. I also went to three Quantum Leap cons, two of them in Los Angeles, as well as a Comic Con where Scott was a guest with Jay and Clive Barker when he did Lord of Illusions. I have created notebooks of screenshots from Quantum Leap and other shows. I have many scripts. I want a signed movie poster from the movie A Passion to Kill. I want a signed script of Future Boy at an auction. I have most of the comic books. I think you would be very interested in what I have. I have invested a lot into this collection. If you would be interested in seeing what I have, I would love to send you pictures. We had a Quantum Leap fan club way back then. Had a magazine called The Observer. I had a license plate with the Q-N-T-U-M-L-P and Bacula after that. You see, I really am a fan. I love your podcast and I'm looking forward to the next one. Love that Heather is a newbie and watching them all for the first time. Bacula Babe was my old screen name. Keep up the good work, Lynn. Wow, she is a real fan. That's awesome that she found us, and hopefully she'll let everybody else know about us too. I remember when there was not a lot of internet and you had posters and magazines and stuff like that. <laughs> Mine were of like sync and 90s boy bands, but it's all the same thing. <laughs> I had that Michael Jackson thriller poster where he's laying down in the suit. Yeah, I definitely had posters and Teen Beat magazine and... Um, Madonna posters. I had posters of both Corys. <laughs> both Corys. What's funny is I know what you mean. <laughs> <laughs> definitely a kid of the 80s. That is definitely cool. Yeah, send us pictures and uh, I'd love to see that kind of stuff. And uh, I'm sure other people would too. It's like we have our own little fan club here too for Quantum Leap. Everybody that listens loves Quantum Leap. So that's great. Hey, yeah. Bacula, babe. That's a screen name. And this one's from Ben Bisek. Hi, Heather Albee. Wanted to thank you for the great podcast. By the way, Heather, there is such a thing as a saga cell. <laughs> All right. I, I, again, I don't sleep. I don't know what you're referring to. Well, I do know what you're referring to. I think I've come to terms with the fact that the saga cell is a real thing. I just never knew it was a real thing before. I wouldn't have been so adamant about it being a real thing if there wasn't a track on the soundtrack that said saga cell. It just is weird to me. It doesn't sound like a real thing. But I know now. I know, QL peers, <laughs> that it is a thing. Might not want to accept it, but I know it's a real thing. There might be a new Saga Cell coming soon. <gasps> Dropping hints. Dropping hints. Ben also, just as we were coming into the recording studio, left us a voicemail. Sweet. Hi, LV and Heather. It's Ben Mysick from Omaha, Nebraska. I was wondering uh, what your theories on Quantum Leap. Um, I know if you get shot during a leap, then you die, and your observer goes back to wherever time he is. But what happens with aging? Do you truly age and die? Uh, what are Hayden's thoughts on this? Thanks. Bye. 
I don't know. I have an opinion on that, but I don't think I can really share it until later on in the series because my opinion is based on things that happen past Heather's episode knowledge at this point. Being a newbie to the show and not knowing what will happen, do you have a feeling whether he's aging or not? I think I would have to say he is because the actor ages that we see. Yeah, yeah, I guess. His hair gets longer and then cut. That still doesn't make any sense to me. <laughs> if his hair is growing longer, then he might be aging. I have to go to the hologram barbershop where I can find someone who can actually see my hair to cut it. Maybe he has to get his hair cut by somebody that's a little... <laughs> um, I'm hoping he isn't leaping long enough that it matters. I, hmm. Yeah, I'll have to wait to answer that. So, uh, Ben, please ask that again around mirror image we have some facebook feedback this is from chris canary just heard about you via the signal podcast was just pointed to it last week between you and jumpgate the babylon 5 rewatch podcast i think i'm going to be set on great audio on two of my favorite series thank you for picking this up and running with it well that's awesome yeah thank you chris that's uh pretty cool you listen to the signal as well which is uh, nice. By the time you hear this, their final last holiday special will be out, their last episode ever, and Heather and I do guest voices in their audio drama, Earthburn. Yeah, we pretty much have like the coolest roles in that episode. Yeah, it's, it's, <laughs> it's really cool. And the characters are named Sam and Al. Which is awesome. After Quantum Leap. Luckily, we know the writer of that audio drama, Jill Arroway, and she was so kind to offer us parts in that. And also in the the last show they did, which is already out, um, we play the people from moving companies. So that's something to check out too on The Signal. Yeah. I will be forever grateful being able to make a guest appearance with Heather on my favorite all-time podcast, besides mine. Uh, yeah, it's cool to find out that there's a uh, Babylon 5 rewatch podcast as well. One show that I really got into, I was lucky enough to watch Babylon 5 all at once. I was a little bit hesitant to watch Babylon 5 because the prosthetics were pretty funny looking if you don't know the characters. But once I got into it, I went all the way through that thing and I loved it. I haven't watched that yet, but I'm not a big fan of that dude. I would say <laughs> I would say wait for the Blu-rays because the uh, visual effects are like, I want to say 240i. But I feel like just that experience alone turned me off of Babylon 5. A big shout out to Matthew Vandiver, who's been leaving us a lot of comments on our Facebook page. He's going along and watching the Quantum Leap episodes and listening to our podcast and giving us comments on each episode. I'd really recommend if you haven't been to the Facebook page to go to facebook.com slash podcast and check out his comments. He's got a lot of good points. One of them I'm thinking of off the top of my head was during the episode Catch a Falling Star, neither one of us noticed that he was literally there to catch a falling star. Ha ha. That's crazy. <laughs> it's so weird because we can get into the little minutia of stories and just miss the whole big thing. But that, that was funny. But uh, he's got a lot of great comments, so check that out on our Facebook. On Twitter, we have this from Ginny. I was turned on to your podcast this weekend and I'm five episodes in. In a purely unintentional coincidence, my comrades and myself have echoed your podcast format in our Babylon 5 rewatch podcast. I'm greatly enjoying what you are doing and I'm going to give you a shout out when we come back to our season two in 2015. That is awesome. So I'm assuming this is the podcast that was mentioned previously by Chris. Yeah, I think there's a connection there and I'm loving this connection. <laughs> I think it's called Synergy, right? That's pretty cool. I asked her to send me a promo 
when they get one together and we'll play it on the show. But until then, check out and look for the Babylon 5 Rewatch podcast. Because if you like our show, it seems like their show is pretty similar. Pretty similar. Unintentionally similar. Our show style has evolved over the years, but uh, I think I like where it is right now. Thank you for that feedback. There are many ways you can leave some feedback for us. You can email us at quantumlypodcast at gmail.com. You can go to facebook.com slash quantumlypodcast. You can call us at 707-847-6682. You can contact us on Twitter at quantumlypod. We are on Instagram as quantumlypodcast. Liking and reposting all of your Quantum Leapy posts. Leave us some iTunes reviews. That would be great. Five stars. Or you can check out our website at quantumlypodcast.com. We are on Patreon at patreon.com slash quantumleappodcast. We would like to thank Tom Quinn, Jason Ritter, and Donald Summerlin. Yes, thank you guys. Keeping the leap alive. Appreciate it. And now, I think Hayden and me have a game to play. Oh, yeah? So, Hayden, let's play. All right, I'll be on in. What are we going to play? Nine ball. All right. Hey, this table's already racked for nine ball. Nine ball is my game. Hey, Leapers. This is Hayden. Excuse me while I break. There were some serious issues being alluded to or addressed in the episode Paul Hall Blues, such as racism, from the banks not wanting to help Violet legitimise her business, and even the black banker worried about how it would look for him if he did, after he had to claw his way to the position he was in. Also, black magic being arrested for shooting pool in a whites-only pool hall. Four-ball corner pocket. And also the issue of innocent people being taken advantage of, Eddie, the loan shark, targeting Violet for a loan when it was clear that she would likely not be able to pay it back, threatening to take her club from her, and then wanting her to pay off the loan in sexual favours instead. It just showed how important it is to give people a chance so that they can contribute to society, while at the same time eliminating the need to look for other avenues from which the same protections might not be in place. Two ball, side pocket. But having said that, it's hard to think of Pool Hall Blues as anything other than a whole lot of fun. The pool matches shown were very entertaining and impressive, and Al, using the handling to draw out the shots Sam had to take, was nothing short of cool. As a mathematician, I love the fact that they mentioned the importance of geometry and physics in the game pool. Getting the angles right, like the angle of incidence being equal to the angle of reflection, and hitting with the right amount of force to get the ball to move in the way you want it to. Eight ball, side pocket. I also love the fact that we again got to see Sam stroking his musical bone, playing the piano and singing with Violet. That was a very cute scene and they both sounded great. Seven ball, corner pocket. But what really made this episode was Dean Stockwell's acting. It is always a gem when a leap hits home for Al and we learn a little bit more about Al's backstory. Like in Jimmy, when he talked about his sister, you could see how much he loved her and the pain of thinking about how she died. Paul Hall Blues was another of these gems. Five ball, corner pocket. We learn that Al ran away from the orphanage and did anything that he could to survive. And when he was caught picking Black Magic's pocket, Black Magic took pity on him and took care of him, 
again, we see the love that Al has for his surrogate father and the pain of being separated from him. This taught Al that there are good people in the world and probably shaped the good man that he became. When Sam was worried that he couldn't play pool, when Al said, well, you're just going to have to learn or else Violet's dream is lost and Magic won't ever forgive himself for not coming through for his granddaughter and I'll never forgive myself for not coming through for Magic. It gave me chills and just goes to show that Al will do anything to help out the people that he loves. One ball, side pocket. We see this more in future episodes too. In What Price Gloria, we learn at the time Al saw Sam as the Lee P, and in the waiting room, he sees the Lee P as Sam. This caused a great deal of problems because Al was extremely attracted to the woman Sam had replaced, and it messed with his head. Three ball, corner pocket. In Pool Hall Blues, it's the first time we get confirmation that this is no longer the case. Al said that when he went into the waiting room, he couldn't believe it when he saw Magic sitting there as he thought he'd never see Magic again. If Al could see Magic as himself, then he must have been seeing Sam as himself as well. A pretty much accepted theory in the fandom is that after the Gloria Leap, the crew readjusted the neural link between Sam and Al, so that Al would only ever see the true identities, to prevent any future problems. Speaking of problems, I think I've snooked myself. Hmm, how will I get out of this? Uh, all right. Nine ball, three banks, corner pocket. He'll never make this. Mm -mm. I now own your recording studio. Oh man, I didn't even stand a chance. Yeah, I guess you've learnt never challenge a mathematician to play pool. But don't worry, you'll always be welcome to continue making the podcast there. Thanks, Hayden. <laughs> I didn't even get a chance. You ran the table. <laughs> Maybe next time. Ugh. you knew how to play pool i do but it's usually uh luck like i said luck and knowing how to use a stick maybe i'm not so good with the stick as i thought i was no comment <laughs> but i i think it has a lot to do with uh when i used to play pool i used to drink so i i had like this this thing going this unagi going and uh now that i don't drink maybe i'm not as good as a pool player as i thought i was Maybe it's just hard to play pool with someone in Australia. He knows what's going to happen a day before we do. Right. It's just not fair. And he's a mathematician. Yeah, so the, all bets are off. Uh, so as per our deal, I would like to thank Hayden McQueenie for letting us use Baron Space Studios today. <sighs> I'm going to win that marker back.
maybe you should drink first next time. <laughs> we talked a little bit earlier about the holiday episode of Robot Chicken, and here's a clip from that. And now back to the Legends of the Guardians, the Owls of Gahul Christmas special. Who? Who? Who is watching this program? Oh, man, Christmas gets all the animated specials. I wish someone would do one for the other holidays. That would be so cool. <sighs> so cool. Huh? Ah! <laughs> He's a maniac! Help! Huh? Oh, what? <laughs> what? Oh, boy. that's the only robot chicken episode i've seen recently <laughs> i love that show i i haven't seen it a lot but as soon as it aired my facebook twitter email blew up from all angles like you have to watch this it's about quantum leap and it was really funny and i love the sound of like quantum leap music in it yeah it, the whole thing was cool just to call out quantum leap was uh, I think a lot of leapers had the same reaction i did and if you didn't check it out it's the latest episode of robot chicken they play it over and over again, so check the TiVo. It's it's worth the watch. And I, I have to say, my favorite part of it was when the Leaper was eating the chocolate. I uncontrollably laughed <laughs> out loud. The whole LOL thing for real. LOL for reals. R-O-L-F-A. What is the? R-O-F-L-M-A-O. L-M-F-A-O. I'm sexy and I know it. Know it. Ain't afraid to show it. Show it. I feel like that went somewhere yeah, not good. That was a tangent. Heather, do you have any trivia for Pool Hall Blues? Well, Dean Stockwell is a pretty good billiards player in real life. Well, that's cool. So maybe uh, when he was giving Sam the instruction about hold it like a cigar and stroke it like a woman, he knew what he was talking about. Yeah, those were definitely owls. <laughs> Michael Watkins, who is the director of photography, won an Emmy for cinematography. Wow. So yeah, a very beautiful episode. So, uh, well-earned and deserved. So, in the beginning, when they mentioned Minnesota Fats, it's actually a character from the movie The Hustler, which wasn't made until 1961. So, a little bit of a timing error. Whoops. Albie noticed that in one of the shots, you hear the laser beam, but you don't see the laser beam. Right. They forgot to put in that effect in one shot, and it's hard to notice unless you're staring at the beam the whole time. But Unless you've seen it 12 times and you're counting those things. Yeah, uh, so some of us, I'm sure, other than me, do that, and uh, I'm sure they didn't see the beam. A uh, little thing that I saw in this episode, which is probably nothing, but I loved Al's outfit when he was first in the episode, and he had what looked like hourglasses on his shirt, which to me would like represent time, and then he had a black vest with white speckles on it, so that, for me, was space. So I was thinking his outfit was space-time. That's pretty cool. I, I did kind of see the hourglasses. You kind of had to try and see it. But it does make sense once it's all together like that. I wonder if there's other little hints in there. I'm sure. The lightning bolt. Mm -hmm. I think Pool Hall Blues was a great episode, and I would recommend it. I would give it uh, two thumbs up. Ten out of ten. Yeah, it was, it was good. I liked it. Are you excited for the next episode of Quantum Leap? Something about acrobats. Leaping without a net, perhaps? That sounds dangerous. 
I thought by now that I had done enough leaps to fill in most of the holes of my Swiss cheese memory. Wrong. I just discovered I'm terrified of heights. I'm going to do the triple, Victor. I swear I am. Not as long as I'm your father. Papa. Yeah, uh, you want to know why you're here? Yes. All right, all right. Well, I don't know. Ziggy's having a little trouble zeroing in. Your name is Victor Panzini. You're part of a Hungarian aerial act. Aerial act? Yeah. Isn't that great? Well, one year ago, they were on. Top. Uh, they were the star attraction of the Circus Vargas. And then Maria, who is your mother and Eva's, uh, she got killed trying to do the triple in Chicago. You're the safety man. That's important. That's great. That's fine. Just as long as I don't have to do that. You do. I just got an update from Ziggy. There's a 97.2% chance that you're here to catch Eva. No. In two days, she's going to get killed doing the triple because her father drops her. Unless you're up there to catch, Eva's going to die. You didn't kill Mama. I was catching that night. Yeah. Without a net sounds dangerous. I feel like nets are safer. I don't think I would do it even if there was a net. In the next episode, it's 1958 and Sam leaps into Victor Panzini, an acrobat. So this will be a lot of uh, circus folk and uh, acrobats and elephants, peanuts and popcorn. Yeah, I, I have only seen the preview for this at the end of the episode, so I have no idea what to expect. We've seen that one several times. Yes. At this time, I'd like to say happy holidays, happy new year. And uh, thank you for being with us through all of 2014, and hopefully we have a great 2015. I'd like to thank everybody involved in the creation of every Quantum Leap podcast. We have an amazing crew, and um, it's getting bigger, and everybody's doing a great job, so thank you guys. Keep it up. And I'd also like to thank managers, agents, PR people, and the actors and production people themselves for taking the time out of their day to come on our show. And they do it just because they love Quantum Leap and they love the fans. And uh, I'd like to say thank you to all of them. And of course, I'd like to say thank you, Heather, for all the hard work you've done hosting the Quantum Leap podcast. And thank you to you who puts all this together and sits at the computer screen for hours and edits it, makes it sound amazing. So... So good year, 2014, and I'm hoping that 2015 is just as good or better. So I don't normally do this, Heather, but since it is New Year's Eve and midnight is coming up, maybe something should happen at the countdown. Oh, we're done. Seven, Seven six, six, five, four, three, two, one. Oh, boy. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Quantum Leap Podcast. Go to quantumleappodcast.com and listen to new episodes. The Quantum Leap Podcast is not affiliated with Belisarius Productions or Universal TV. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram to get behind-the-scenes information, exclusive content, and to be notified first when new episodes are available. To support the podcast, you can go to patreon.com slash quantumleappodcast. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash quantumleappodcast. The thoughts and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the individual and do not necessarily represent or reflect those of the Quantum Leap Podcast, Baron Space Productions, its partners, or affiliates. Quantum Leap Podcast is edited by Albie, John Buchanan, and Juan. Researched by Juan. Contributors Hayden McQueenie and Jill Arroway. Voice talent provided by John Buchanan, Tony Fennerin, and Juan. 
The co-producer for the Quantum Leap podcast is Hayden McQueen. And Juan is the line producer. The Quantum Leap universe and all it contains is property of Belisarius Productions and Universal TV. No infringement is intended. The Quantum Leap podcast is a barren space production. <laughs> we get letters. We get letters all the time. After I reflected on this episode a little bit, and it kind of bothered me. Sam, once again, in a black man. <laughs> As a black man? Okay. It's it's always fun. Referential. 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 How can I pronounce that? Help me. Referential. Referential. I have no idea. I love wrench. Is there another word for that? He couldn't believe it when he saw magic sitting there as he thought he'd never. <laughs> what was that? Are you all right? Did you crash? <laughs> the wind just blew the gate. Okay. Go, yeah, go, go back a little bit. <laughs> Two thousand fifteen? You mean we're in the future? <laughs>